Well, welcome to episode 62 of the Daz and Daz NBA podcast. And, and tonight we're going to start our season previews. Daz, we're here on a, on a Friday night. You've got the IPAs uh, cracked open uh, and we're going to start with the Eastern Conference. But uh, first of all, what, what's the IPA? What's the, what's the selection tonight, Daz? This is a um, one that the boys here at the local bottle shop put me on to. It's the, they're called Akasha. The Akasha Brewing Company, they're um, local lads here in Five Docks, so the inner west in Sydney. And so this is their um, this is their IPA, seven point two percent. So, and so things be- could get messy. Beautiful, yeah, that's what I said. Number one here will be nice and stable. So end of end of end of ten two, it could be. Um, hopefully, we're on to I don't know the Washington Wizards by that point. So it gets really really fiery. Yeah, well, I had a couple of pale ales earlier, but they weren't quite the 7.5% uh, mark. So I'm on the mineral waters now just to try and keep this <laughs> keep this uh, ship afloat, so to speak. So what we're going to what we're going to do, Daz, I, I sent out a spreadsheet to you today, and we've sort of both had a go at it in terms of um, putting together our um, our conference rankings. Uh, and there's a couple of teams that we've we've disagreed on, um, and a couple of teams obviously we're we're pretty much in lockstep with. We've also put on there what the biggest question is um, for each of these teams, and I think you know there's a there's a little bit of overlap between what we've both said there and um, you know some differences again there. So we'll we'll probably look at look at the teams and look at, I think, the biggest questions uh, for each team as we go into the season. We're going to do it from bottom to top. Uh, so we're going to, and, and starting in the Eastern Conference, and we and we disagree straight away, Daz. Now, you've got the New York Knickerbockers as the worst team in the NBA, uh, and I've got the Atlanta Hawks as the worst team in the NBA. I'll, I'll, we might touch on the Hawks first. Simply because I, I can't believe anyone you would rank anyone ahead of this team. I think this this roster is Sam Hinkie level six as bad as I think this is just mm. a horrible, horrible roster. I mean, who's their best player? Who's the best player on the Hawks? Question without uh, notice. Op- optimized <laughs> Alex Len. <laughs> well, look, so fair, fair question. So I'd say their their star player um yeah, what, I don't know. Is that is that Trey Young, right? He he probably better be. Well, he's not their player. best player, though. I mean, he's the guy they're hoping to be the star. But I mean, in terms of what we're going to see from them well, this year, Trey Young's not going to be their best player. Who, like this is my well, and that was my big Baysmore, question. I guess, yeah. Kenny well, Baysmore, I think it's I probably suppose. Dwayne Edmond, maybe. Maybe Dwayne Edmond. Yeah. So look, so look, you, you brought up the Hawks, but I, I go again. We're we are in the um the belt the end of the, the tail end of the bell curve here, right? This is going to be, you know, we're into the we're going to argue between a 20 win team and a 26 win team. Your Des is probably what we're talking about. Right. But I just, so my view on the Hawks is, um, yep. Obviously they're very young, have had enormous amounts of turnover um, and, and a coaching and a coaching change. Um, I just sort of see enough, I guess enough, uh, uh, perhaps culture being built and uh, motivations of guys off the charts compared to the New York Knickerbockers. Again, it's almost hard to do them in a vacuum and for me to argue the case about how great the, the Hawks are going to be. That's not going to be my argument, but it's more about I compare uh, Zinger. You know, Zinger's rehab has not exactly gone perfectly. Um, I think that we could see a very likely uh, likely that he sits out for the entire season. And with that in, in, in store, I think you'll see a tank a tank job really really hard there. 
Um, oh, I'm, uh, I'm the opposite on the Knicks. Uh, really? I, I think the Knicks, uh, the Knicks want to be players in free agency next summer. Um, mm. And I'm not the opposite in terms I think they're going to have a great year. I'm the opposite. I don't think they're going to tank. I think they're going to want to at least look competitive and try and win as many games as they can. Because you can't go to a Kevin Durant, a Kyrie Irving, a Jimmy Butler and say, come and join a 20-win team next year. Because they're going to have no interest. If you can win like the Lakers did, for example, last year, winning the sort of mid-30 games, then I think, and, and maybe Kevin Knox shows a bit, maybe Frank Nilakuna shows a little bit, they're going to want to see some, some signs of progress from some of the young guys in this roster and just something that you can work with if you're coming in as Kevin Durant or one of these other big stars, including obviously having uh, Porzingis come back. So I don't think, I think the Knicks are going to be very, very conscious of how they look outside looking in this year and, and to just go and tank away a season the way Phoenix have done and the way Philly did for a number of years, I just don't think that's a good look when they're saying they want to be players in free agency next summer. I hear you, and I, I think that's a, that's a fair argument. Um, I'm just, what well, I guess what I'm saying is um, it's one thing to have the intent is how do you execute that, right? So how do you execute a, a team that you know, pretending to, to be a, a competitive team with who's their best player, right? You know, Zinger's hurt. Is it, and as Cantor, is it? Well, they'd hope it's Timmy, Tim Hardaway Jr. Tim Hardaway, yeah. Right, so I go, okay, there's your ceiling. Your top player is Tim Hardaway Jr., right? Okay, there's your ceiling. He played 50 games and scored 17 points a game on a tragically, you know, awful team. That's That's your... That's your ceiling. So that's why I sort of saying they 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 look to me more more dysfunctional. I just put more faith in um, Borrego putting together a squad and have a bunch of young guys, you know, almost like a college like atmosphere in Atlanta compared to the Flotsam and Jetsam in New York and just all the drama that I think is going to surround this team and the you know is Frankie playing or is it um, you know is it, is it got they've got right. Um, yeah. Trey Berg as well, uh, who's there. So Yeah, that's right. Mitchell Robinson looks good, but is he really? You know, Kevin Knox, you know, looks so good. And, and Okay, they just paid Hazonia a bit of money. It just it just it looks like a, a roster that's all over the shop. Noah Vonley, right? Good on you, right? I don't so think I, I see much of Noah Vonley. I think they'll they'll give Hazonia a bit of a look. Uh, and then look, if Tim Hardaway Jr. can stay healthy, I think he's going to put up numbers for them. Uh, and I just I think there's something to be said for a team that doesn't want to tank because I think there's going to be a lot of teams just just pressing the tank button out there in the east. And I'm not convinced that the the Knicks are going to be one of them. I think they're going to be motivated to to try and win as many games okay. as possible. And I well, think you... there could be a move there too. I, I, I think there could be a move there to try and get more competitive as the season goes on. I mean, of course they yeah. are a player for Jimmy Butler, and we'll wait and see how that plays out as well. <laughs> I just think it's, you know, this team's going to start, this team's not going to start, you know, 20 and 8. You know, it's not like they're going to get off no, some no, hot no. start. They're, they're, they're That's not going to be saying. great. But I think you're talking about maybe a 30-win team. I think the Hawks are going to be low teens. I think the Hawks are going to be 13 to 15 wins, does. That's how bad they're going to be. Because they're going to give the keys to Trey Young from day one. And we saw how that went in Summer League. So how do you think that's going to go in, in the NBA proper? Yeah, look, I think he's going to – my feeling on Trey Young is 
Um, he's going to, you know, one and three nights, he's going to line it up and two and three nights, he's going to be like, you know, um, worse, a worse version of Devin Booker in his rookie season, right? Which is, you know, high volume, two for 16 shooting and, you know, um, no defense and six turnovers, you know, then there's going to be a few nights where he'll be, look like he'll have his buddy healed going where he'll go, you know, who go 12, 12 for 20 from the floor and score 40 points. Um, that's why I think he has such extreme variability. But, um, again, I just, I'm probably putting a lot more faith in, I guess, the say what you will about Fisdale. I just think the dysfunction probability of New York, um, the distraction with, 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 with Noah, will that be dealt with, will it not? Um, are they going to try and actually cut salaries? So if they start losing, I could see some of their, you know, decent role players like the Courtney Lees um, or even a Hardaway. To your point, to try and clear max cap space, why not try to move off those guys to get more space and or some future assets? The the complete experiment that'll be Frankie Smokes and um, Moutier off, you know, in the in the backcourt. I just I, I just can't. I really struggle to think about. You know, a five-man starting lineup that works, and then a rotation that works that fits a Fisdale style, and that sort of suits the team's direction. It's just so it's so clunky, Daz. But look, I hear you. I think the the I'd say probably the floor of Atlanta probably is lower, if that's what you're saying. I think Atlanta would be more likely to you know to go 15 and 67, but I guess my money is on they also have probably a bit more upside if you know if um, Collins takes a ne- next step. Torian Prince takes a next step. Trey Young is, you know, maybe he's somewhere between, you know, a, a Donovan Mitchell, maybe a, a step below a Donovan Mitchell rookie year. You can't rule that out. Maybe there's a 20% chance he's a, you know, a 17-point-a-game scorer, and he shoots 38 39% from three, and he's more efficient than we think, and he wins some ball games. So, yeah, I, I, so I'm going for dysfunction and, probable losing pieces and just New York Mickey and things as my, they're my 15 team. So who's your, you've got Atlanta 15. I've got Atlanta 15. Uh, My bottom three is Atlanta 15. I've got Cleveland at 14 and I've got uh, the new, uh, no, I've got uh, Orlando at 13. Right. So I got Atlanta 14, right? So I'm not, you know, yeah, we're not, not we're not major. Yeah, I think the bigger the bigger disagreement between us is New York, but I think in terms of win losses, it's probably not that, that we're not that far away from where we probably think they'll be. We're yeah. just I'm throwing Cleveland in the trash bin, um, as we discussed uh, on Monday night. That's our biggest disagreement because you've got Cleveland in the playoffs, and I've got them as the second worst team uh, in in the NBA, in my opinion. Um, that's, that's pretty remarkable. Bad, that's how bad I think. But uh, but I'll, I'll case that in. I, I put a lot of faith in the lack of durability in Kevin Love. I think mm. Kevin Love's gonna. I think Kevin Love's gonna start the season putting up big numbers, and then he's gonna break down. That's that's my mm. prediction. Now, if, if you said to me Kevin Love plays sixty five games, then I'm I'm still not. They're not a playoff team, but they're they're going to be pushing maybe that mid thirty win mark. Sort of you know thirty five wins maybe um, rather than the where I've got them which is around the sort of twenty nine. Well, actually, I think they're even going to be lower than that. I, I think they're over unders at thirty. I think they're going to be winning low twenty games um, once <laughs> once Kevin. It is remarkable them. just how how completely differently we see them, which is I suppose that's good because we're we're not far off on most of our teams. Well, if here, Kevin Love I, goes down, yeah. 
If Kevin Love goes down, if I said to you Kevin Love plays 35 games this season, where, where's your ranking then of, of the Cavs? Yeah, I, I know. I just, I, I, I hear you. But, I, you know, you could you could sort of say that just about every single team. Pick every team's best player, say he misses 55 games, and I go, well, of course they're going to you know, lose an extra well, five Well, not necessarily. Ten, I mean, look at the Orlando could lose Aaron Gordon. I don't think it's going to matter to them all that much. They're going to be crap anyway. Um, a lot of those teams are going to be terrible anyway. I think that certainly affects Cleveland um, quite a bit. And it's a guy with sure. injury history. It's yeah. not a guy like... You know, you say Vic Oladipo is going to go down. Well, you know, you know, this is not that's not a guy that has a heck of a lot of injury history the way that Kevin Love does. Um, that's Look, where yeah, I get worried. I, I hear you. I just I'm probably I'm not saying he's going to play 80, you know, which he's only done that once in his career. And he's played like just to be honest. So just to get some data here, he's played 77, 75, 77. Um, that was 14, 15, 16. And the last two years, he's played 60 games. <clears throat> so he's missed 20. 22 games a year, 60 and 59. So, um, yep, that's that's definitely, you know, missing a quarter of the season. I guess I'm probably in the, more in the camp of, again, I probably believe more in Ty Liu and the depth of the roster and the motivations of a lot of these players and the fact that, you know, let's, you know, the mental health of a lot of the guys, especially like J.R. Thompson and Kevin Love, who just won't have to deal with the, the irresistible, unstoppable, unquenchable pressure of LeBron and, you know, two guys who had admitted, you know, uh, mental health issues last year, Ty Lue and Kevin Love specifically. I think this is a a recharge year for these guys in a lot of ways. So I actually feel Kevin's going to play with a lot more levity, a lot more lightness. And it's not going to be, this is a, again, I'm saying this is a sub 500 team. This is a 38 win team in my view who makes, you know, that make, makes the playoffs in the egregious East. So um, I just I just see him more likely to be light and lively and having fun and doing more things and standing in, in the corner. So I think he'll be doing you? all those yeah. things, Daz, but I think he'll be doing them on the bench in street class. So that's probably... You reckon he'll be... Yeah, I think okay. he'll break down. Yeah. I mean, look, and, and I hope he doesn't. I hope he gets through the season um, fully healthy. And if he does... Obviously, my opinion changes a little bit there. So, um, but I don't think you can go in just assuming health uh, for a team like this. And I also think if their season goes in the tank, I think there's a chance they have a try, well, try and have a bit of a fire sale at least and try and, and see what they can get, if anything, for some of the veterans that they do have on the roster. Because I think that some of those guys might have some value for teams that are a bit further up, you know, and chasing a playoff spot or looking to make some noise in the playoffs uh, later on in the season. So I think Cleveland may very well turn on that. Yeah, they might. How that goes. Let's move on. We we, we sort of will agree to disagree on Cleveland. Let's see where they end up. Orlando Magic is a team that we both had 13. Just hard to get excited about this team. But they are coming in, I guess, with a plan. They've, They've got that length on defense. It's going to be interesting to see how that translates. Um, to competitiveness on the court, at least this year, particularly on the defensive end. And Steve Clifford is a is a defensive-minded coach. I mean, could you see them making any sort of a leap this year and pushing into the playoffs in the East? No. No is a short answer. And look, I think they have a, <clears throat> they have a gaping, gaping hole, right? We thought, um, we thought the Bulls had a gaping hole. The, the depth chart for Orlando Magic's point guards are starter, DJ Augustine, Backup Jerry and Grant, mm. third string point guard, 
crickets, right? Like who? Is Isaiah Briscoe? I don't even know who the fuck that is, right? They got Mozgov. He can't play the point, right? So my thing is you've got these wings, the um, uh, Isaac, um, Aaron Gordon, and then very rangy, very long. You know, he's probably like a long Larry Sanders. He's got no, there's not much of an offensive game to Mobamba right now, right? Um, so I go, you're going to need some spectacular, um, either a spectacular system that creates shots <clears throat> for this team or a point guard to do that. So I go, where on earth is the playmaking coming from? Evan Fournier? Probably you know, He's a nice spot-up shooter. But, you know, he showed a yeah. little bit of playmaking last year, but uh, not enough to, to say that yeah. he's going to take over the point guard uh, role on this team. Yeah, and so again, when your best players play the same positions, right? Where I think Gordon and Isaac probably have the best, the most upside this year. You know, Jonathan Simmons is going to have to play a significant role. So, look, it's this is a this team. You know, you could you could easily make the argument for them at number fifteen as well, just because one, they've got no point guard. Two, I don't see if they have any other playmaking. And three, their bigs can't shoot. Right, Gordon, Isaac, and Bamba. The guys hopefully are getting heavy minutes. You know, there's Vooches still around, but. I go, that is just a, uh, this could be, this probably should be and will be the lowest scoring team in the NBA. But I think they've got enough of that, again, enough of that, the defensive potential to be, you know, a bit of a pain in the ass on some given nights. But It'd be good if um, they were an NFL team and you could have Chicago play offense and Orlando play defense. <laughs> They'd be definitely going to make the playoffs if, if that was the case. Yeah. yeah, like um, like hockey have line changes. Right? Yes. So the Bulls run down and score. The Magic just stay at the other end and defend. That's right, just constant line changes. No, so I, so, I think there's going to be nights this season where Orlando blow some teams out, though, and you're going to look at look at the box score at the end of the game and say, hang on, they beat, you know, they beat OKC by 30, because if the shots fall, I think their defense is going to be good enough. And you've got guys like Jonathan Simmons and Fournier, and even Bomber is a is a, a theoretical shooter. I think there's going to be nights when he hits some shots. Like there's going to be nights where they they make their shots and they look really good, but it's just never going to be sustainable. Um, and the analytics will catch up with them on the offensive end. So this is just not a good enough offensive well, roster. I just yeah this is a this I, I I would I feel strongly this will be the 30th ranked offense and I feel quite strongly about that looking at every team tonight and it's just a I'm wondering what the hell John Hammond is doing here I mean you know he loved to draft you know um, you know Rashad Vaughn and DJ Wilson you know these all these weirdos in Milwaukee and I just kind of go what is he what is the vision here. You know, well, you know, where, a couple where of scores, and, and I guess they're yeah. hoping that Aaron Gordon continues his upward trajectory Eesh. on the offensive end. He, he started last season like a house on fire, but then sort of um, came back to reality, uh, in the, particularly in the second half of the season. And he's another guy that can't stay on the court. You talk about durability concerns. I think he's there with that. But, I mean, you get a really good... If, if they can somehow, through the draft next year, get a really good scorer... Uh, to to complement this team, I mean, you you know, you throw a Donovan Mitchell type on this team, and then you probably still yeah. need another offensive player on top of that. But at least if you've got the defensive structures in place, you've got a bit of a um, you know something to build on, a bit of a foundation, I guess, to build on. That's probably um, the only thinking of Hammond at the moment is to get yeah, that I, length on defense. I think, I mean, I think it's offense. even bigger. I hear you. I go, they are a twenty point scorer and a top fifteen NBA point guard away from being a playoff team. 
I'm not exaggerating because I go, Fournier ain't scoring 20 a night. Simmons ain't scoring 20 a night. Aaron Gordon, by many measures, had a great offensive season last year and completely fell off the cliff, ended up shooting 33% from deep and 17.6 points a game. And I just go, he's 23, going to be 24 years old. I just go, there's just, I can't. I, I, someone tell me the story how they're going to score points. So I think this, compared to the Atlanta Hawks and even to the Knicks, I would say Orlando's growth is going to be slower because I think I think what Schlenk has done is a high risk, but he's got certainly a vision there in Atlanta for a you know um, a hyper modern you know spread out sort of team. New York right still has the the possibility of being able to attract the next Kyrie, Kevin Durant, etc. So I think, and then if Zinger comes back, they've got a, a path. I think Orlando might have the longest path um, in the East back to you know being a you know um, being a, a relevant sort of playoff team. Well, they know the culture reset too. I mean, to have Vicky Oladipo on your roster, and he really didn't show anything there until <sighs> he left, and then he Jeez. turns into a superstar, and you just Jeez. think, what's going on? And you can understand why he didn't show his best in OKC to some extent, but. Why didn't they show anything in Orlando? I'll, I'll was, that under, was that under Vogel? No, well, that or wouldn't have been Vogel. Skiles. Vogel came in. That was that was under Scott Skiles era. He, Vogel yeah. may have been in at the tail end of that, but yeah. that was more the Scott Skiles sort of days. Um, you know, and that's why I still hold hope for Alfred Payton. Getting out of that system, um, I, I like to see what guys can do away from that sort of a system because yeah. just they haven't shown any ability at all to get the best out of the players that they've they've drafted. Um, so whether, you know, and, and whether Steve Clifford's going to be the guy to do that or not, I'm not sure. I wasn't a great fan of the Steve Clifford hire. Um, I actually would have just stuck, either stuck with Vogel or gone with a bit more of a development coach, but we'll see what Steve Clifford uh, can do this year. It, it reeks of me the risk for them as well. That's why I know as more I talk about it, I think, man, they actually probably should probably have them 15th is that the possibility there to your point about Steve Clifford is John Hammond did this before when he hired Larry Drew famously in Milwaukee to try and help you know do a culture reset and Larry Drew led the Bucks for one season and that season was 15 wins and 67 losses and it was an absolute catastrophe so I'm not suggesting that I think Steve Clifford has more of a system and more an ability to be an NBA coach than, than what Larry Drew had but it just sort of reeks of that complete lack of creativity or vision on the part of Hammond of extremely conservative, you know, type of hire here with Clifford. So I just, I, this would have been a perfect team to go do and take a chance on the, you know, the next James Borrego or Nick Nurse or Chris Finch or in that sort of direction. So I'm actually quite disappointed that, you know, well, that, I thought disappointed, you, but, to me it was valuable yeah. 2.0, wasn't it? I mean, it was just, right. like, what's, what's the point of, of that change? I just didn't get it. Yeah, was Mike Malone not available? I guess not, right? <laughs> so, yeah. so yeah. So I, the more I talk about it, I'm actually thinking maybe that is my 15 team. I think the Knicks even because at least the Knicks have some vets who can, and some people at Hardaway can score better than anyone on Orlando in, in my view. But um, anyway, I got Orlando there at number 13. That's one we we agreed on. Yeah, so, well, the next one up was Brooklyn. We had uh, Brooklyn, you had at 12, I had Brooklyn at 11. So we're basically about the same on Brooklyn. My big question for Brooklyn is, this is a team that obviously now, this is the first year they're going to have their, their draft pick. Uh, they're going to look at getting a, um, obviously a high draft yeah. pick, they would hope, this year. 
do they have a star on their roster right now, Daz? Do you do they have a guy that you look at and think this guy could actually develop into being even an all star level talent or all NBA level talent? Because um, I sort of looked through the roster and I I couldn't find the guy that that I thought um, would meet that meet that criteria. But I'm not sure if if you felt the same way. No, I, I think I'm sort of out on on D'Angelo. I know it's hard to believe he's only 22 years old, but obviously D'Angelo Russell has the pedigree, what the number two pick. But you know, did he did he play half the games last year? I think he did. He came back and played 48 48 games and was pretty much exactly the same D'Angelo we'd seen, you know, in years before. Where not a great distributor or a great you know floor general uh, an okay shooter off the bounce he's still below nba average in terms of his efficiency from from deep you know he does pass the ball functionally and he does you know kind of he's a functional guy around the rim so maybe if he gets all of his athleticism back he can he can build on something and get himself up into that you know uh, credible you know 18 and 6 kind of nba scoring point guard sort of a shoot first but he's a long long ways away from from being in an, an NBA sort of all-star conversation. Um, well, and, he's got to, look, just he, quickly on him, he's got a yeah, similar go. game to Oladipo and Mitchell, but he just doesn't do anything in the, in the, the efficiency. Um, oh, yeah. And the athleticism is in a completely, he's more of a Malcolm Brogdon athleticism. Mm. He's got like that functional, you know, kind of functional smarts. He's almost got, you know, Mike Conley kind of, you know, it's an easy comp given their where they came from, but uh, that sort of f- functional, functional, right? He knows his angles and knows how to use his body, but he just can't he can't leap and finish the way those two guys can. But um, we'll but see. your point, we'll yeah, full, your point. With a full yeah. preseason under his belt, yeah, maybe. We'll see so the short answer, down. no, I don't see you know I don't see an all star. I think you've got you know a competent rotation player, very pleasant surprise in Jared Allen. Right, he's got some athleticism, and yep. you could squint your eyes and say he could be baby Capella. That's what I was you know, thinking. Poor, yeah, that's in a couple in a couple yeah. years, yeah, I think you know a lot of people like you know Karis Levert, um, or Kyrie Laver, or Karis Levert. I actually literally haven't it's heard Levert that name. Is how I've heard it is Levert, pronounced. right? Karis Levert, yep. right? So I think he's got the you know it's kind of that nice. Um, really good NBA bodies, a little bit lean. So if he can, his frame kind of fills out and he's got some, you know, Chris Middletini, you know, better Alan Crabb sort of game. So I think he's got some room to go, even though he's, gosh, he's 24 already. That's hard to believe. I thought he was younger. No, he was older when so, they drafted him. Yeah, he was, was wasn't he? he? He'd been redshirted his last year of college. Yeah. He his knee. Um, and yeah. they got him late, so. Um, but he's been he's been a nice player for them. But again, no. the upside is not is not looking um, fantastic there for him. Either. No, but this is almost like this is almost like Clippers East, though. They got so many players, you know. They get um, so they got these youngish guys. We just we rattled off, and they also added Ed Davis, who's a really competent, you know, NBA rotation yep. big. Jer- Jared Dudley, you know, he can play. You know, they got uh, Napier as well, didn't they? From from Portland. Yeah, I love Shabazz Napier. He's a great. He had a I good, really guy, like good season last year. So that's yeah. a, that's a nice guy to bring off your bench. Kenny Atkinson could get creative and he could find a role for, you know, Kenneth Freed. We'll see if he's got anything left in the tank. Or is he is he in the you know Joaquin Noah Luol Deng camp of kind of done? We haven't seen him play much the last couple of years, so you never know. He could you know play some defense, get some rebounds, and ignite some transition on a given night. And look, I thought they got a sneaky, nice signing in Travion Graham who showed flashes and, 
you know, I don't think he's probably anything more than a, you know, sixth or seventh man, but I think there's a little bit of upside there. And, um, you know, so I, I sort of like the, just again, a lot of smart general managing. And, you know, Kenny Atkinson, by many measures, has kind of got a, you know, um, uh, geez, I'm, I'm some branding. Philadelphia's coach, Brown. Bruce Brown? Brian Brown. Brown. Brett. <laughs> and it was a B. Like Bruce. His name's not Bruce, but he sort of got that sort of moxie to him, right? Sort of living through these really lean years, but, but at the same time building a, a decent culture there. So um, I think we're kind of similar on nets, aren't we? Well, where do you put them? If Jimmy Butler goes there tomorrow, the news comes through, where do they rise in the East in your in your mind? Oh, that's a good question. Look, they would probably be, boy, they would leap above Charlotte and Chicago for sure. So, yeah, you you could, in, if you got me on a bad day, I could probably say that would put them in the, you know, in the range of a seven to nine seed with Jimmy. Oh, I think they're in the playoffs. playoffs uh, yeah. If Jimmy yeah. Butler's there. I, yeah. I'd put them ahead of Washington as well, to be honest. I'd, I'd put them in the sort of six to six to eight, nine range. But there's so much variability, which we're about to get to, you know, with these teams between Detroit, Miami, Cleveland. We talked about Washington, Chicago, Charlotte. There's just, I think there's a lot of high beta with these teams. So um, that's a fair question. If Jimmy was there tomorrow, yeah. Maybe I would almost lock them in. Depends on what they have to give up, right? I suppose if they're giving up D'Angelo and Lavert, well, it almost you know, matter, would it? I mean, look to your point about the Clippers. The, the, the roster's so deep. I mean, even if Lavert, yeah, you're just giving Napier more minutes. Uh, Russell, well, yeah, maybe uh, again, how, how big yeah. this is that? Oh, look, I think they're going to be competitive most nights. Even take Butler out of the equation, they're going to be competitive most nights. They're going to be a fun team to watch. Um, I like watching Jared Allen play. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what what Russell does. This is a contract year for him to what, where his career goes. Um, from there, they've already sort of indicated they're not going to extend him uh, before the season ends. So uh, he's going to be playing for a contract and hopefully a payday from, from his point of view at the end of the season. So I, I look, I think they're, they're, there's a chance the Nets are pushing around that eight seed for, for quite a bit of the season, but they might just fall away um, towards the end of the season. Uh, depending on on where th- where things where things yeah. fall, um, yeah, yeah, you know, between now and then. But they, but they've got some moves to make as well if they want to make some moves, maximise this roster this year. I I tend to think even if they're around that eight, so they're probably going to go. You know what? We'd probably rather miss the playoffs and maybe finish eleven, twelve range and go back into the lottery, get our the best draft pick we've had for a number of years, and look to continue to build through the draft because they have drafted well considering where they've been. Um, in the draft, they've taken risks. Yeah. And generally, the risks have sort of come off uh, for them. There, Levert's been a nice pickup for them, and, and so has Allen, as we mentioned a couple of times. So, I, th- I think Brooklyn's sort of on this now that they've got their assets and started to add some assets, which they did in the off season. They've got a couple additional you know, future picks, and uh, a coach who's building the right culture, um, and some stability now in the front office, and a lot of. A lot of smart moves. They sort of they could be on that trajectory, like what we saw with Utah, where they had the Hayward and it, it transitioned to. Well, granted, Hayward's better than anyone else on this roster, but they, they're one or two players. So unlike what you were talking about before, um, like your hypothesis with Jimmy, they're one one or two good drafts from having a really nice core and a really nice team, you know, some long term sort of stability. Again, unlike what Phoenix has fucked up and started and stopped, and unlike what Sacramento's been able to do, and unlike what Orlando's been able to do. So I like, I think you're a Brooklyn fan, you've got to be feeling pretty good, and obviously very, very attractive market. 
So um, well, you still yeah, know the star. That's that's going to be the do. big question sure. for them. Where does the star up? come from? They might only that's need, right. like we talked about Orlando, they need two stars with that roster. This roster may only need the one star to which, sort of push them up. And, which and, might have to come in free agency because, again, just as you hinted at, the this is the the, the impossible, you know, tight um, tightrope act that you have to do building an NBA franchise and why winning the NBA is so bloody difficult. Building a franchise is so bloody difficult as you're trying to build something and build culture and find guys who want to be there and you know put you know put savvy vets around them. But fuck, does that mean you win 35 games and miss out on a top five pick, right? Well, you know, this, this is a, and this goes so back hard. to the point about yeah. the Knicks. The Knicks going to want to be players in free agency. The Knicks and the Nets will be going head to head in free agency. And if you're a free agent, you're looking around. Here's the Nets with a nice young roster, building a good culture, and the Knicks are coming off a 20 win season. And you don't know what the state of Porzingis's knee yeah. is, and you've still yeah. got Dole, and you got Fizdale, who's a bit of an unknown quantity. You know, clashed butted heads with Marcus Hull in in Memphis, etc. You know, Nets all of a sudden looking a little bit more attractive than the Knicks. For sure, for sure. So yeah, and again, I think yeah, it's um, <laughs> I like what they're doing. It's a, it's a um, very very fine line they're trying to trying to tread as many nba teams are right as as the majority of nba teams, there's probably a group of 15 in the middle like this where it's just it can't for a thousand reasons can't tank to the bottom um and they're just going how do we actually build a roster so um i don't probably i probably don't put them on the top of my league pass this year they're probably a little bit a little bit dull i mean they play a bit of a nice pace but it's nothing it's not much really to see there i'll be honest with brooklyn so I'll keep an eye on them. I, I hope. Actually, kind of hoping they do well, right? There's a just feel bad for franchises who've had to endure what they've had to endure with that that this franchise back, which will come up hmm. sudden back about a decade, won't it? Oh yeah, certainly. Well, what's it been now? Four, five years now. Yeah, it has been, hasn't it? Really. Hmm. So, so at least we yeah. don't have to hear the Boston fans gloat anymore about the, the picks that they're coming from the Nets. So that that's all done. They can move onwards and upwards from here. Well, but, they can gloat about Sacramento's pick coming <laughs> next year. Well, if it comes, we'll, we'll talk about Sacramento later. <laughs> I'm not convinced that he's going to come next year. Um, let's, t- let's compare another two terms now, Daz. There's two terms that we disagree on, and, and one I've got in the playoffs, you don't, and, and obviously the other one you have in the playoffs, and I don't. And that's Miami and, and Charlotte. Now, you're higher on Miami than I am, and I'm higher on Charlotte than you are. Start with yeah. Miami first. Now, Miami, I, I think I just can't get excited about this term. I mean, the only team in the NBA days that did not add one player in the offseason through free agency, trade, or the draft. They just basically are going to bring the exact same term back, which wasn't very good. Has that ever happened? Yeah. I can't remember re- it ever happening in the as, re- as remarkable. It is. It is. Un- I mean, I'm sure they got a couple of two way guys and, and things like that. There might have been some some real fringe stuff happen, but I mean, I went through the all the different transactions, and Miami just did not because it, it looked like Dwayne Wade was going to go uh, to China at one point. He's come back, so they're basically just running the exact same term back. And as I said, this was a team that was sort of a six seed, a pretty uninspiring six seed. Um, went out. In uh, what what was it five yeah. games against Philly? Maybe I, look, it wouldn't surprise me in the playoffs. I just I'm so 
down on this team. I cannot get excited about watching them. I don't think they play a style that's exciting at all. Um, I think Dragic is another year older. Whiteside showed some really bad signs last year. I think he wants out. I think there's problems in the locker room. If they if they think Dwayne Wade's going to be playing big minutes, that's not going to end well. I understand Dwayne Wade is his back. That's a that's a positive, um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Talk me into it, Daz. I mean, is, is it just that the East is that bad, and and Miami are I guess that high floor team that can just coast on in and, and get a six seven seed almost by default? Yep, those are two big reasons which you just ticked off. That that's absolutely part of it. You got Atlanta, Orlando, Chicago. New York, Charlotte, and on bad nights, Detroit, Washington, and Cleveland. I go, there are literally eight teams where you go, they've got either a, a lower talent base, brand new coaching staff, um, a whole bunch of holes in their roster, and, and uh, you know, a, a coach who is worse than Spo. So that is absolutely the competition. So, yep, they're, they're the Spurs East, right? He's got, a, he's got a brilliant system that everyone buys into, the fittest team in the league, all that stuff we've seen. For years, and I know they didn't. They didn't add anyone. It's it's another team that we still got little pockets, though little pockets of upside, right? And I think we've got pockets of upside with Bam Adebayo. You know, he showed some flashes last year. I think we've got some upside still yet to be found with um, Justice Winslow. I don't think he's going to be you know Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum, but I think he's he's certainly got some space to improve and again showed signs. Um, I think Josh Richardson's also made some nice steps. He's become a little bit of a late bloomer. He's got some, you know, got some upside to him. Um, Goron's just so Goron. He's just so solid. Again, unlike what Orlando Magic have done, right? Goron can distribute the ball to these to the group of people who don't average twenty points a game. Because Goron is a fantastic floor general. And again, you know, maybe maybe thirty nights a year, you've got you know a twenty and twelve from Whiteside. Maybe you've got fifty games where he, you know, makes you want to pull your hair out and or worse. But so yeah, so it's all those things. It's the coaching. It's this. It's the continuity, and it's a, I think a little bit of a boost. Perhaps we'll see. Hopefully, it's not a you know a Kobe detractor, but it's going to be D Wade's farewell tour, right? This is clearly is he's actually announced it, right? This is his last season. He's done after this year, and um, yeah, well, he's that a guy who's down two spots for me. I don't like these farewell tours. Yeah, we'll see. Well, does he? Well, he. I get, he's proven though, right? He had some great late season moments last year, but he's a guy who's proven he, 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 he can't and doesn't mind. He, he both can't and is okay with the fact he can play 24 minutes a night, right, Daz? And there will be nights where he'll be resting. So I bet he's you pencil him in for 55 games at you know, 20, 24 minutes a night in a Dirk sort of role. And again, so smart, so beloved, and still can make, you know, you know he's almost like Joe Johnson. He's make big shots at the end of games, right? And he get fouled. I think he's still a on the offensive side of the ball anyway. And again, you know, in little bursts and certain possessions, he can still play some amazing D way defense, I believe. So I I don't think he's a net negative the way Kobe was a net well, negative. Well, that's fair enough. That's, that's yeah, yeah. He's got the humility about him, right? So he's so I, I think that's actually an emotional boost for that team, and you know. Um, Getting to say farewell in that way, I guess I don't know how you feel about it. as a Spurs fan, you know, not really knowing with Manu and Tony, and so you know the endings with your beloved, beloved players is a bit, you know, I just don't think that's as satisfying of a goodbye when you don't really get a chance to, you know, would you watch the games differently and, and take it in differently 
you know, if you knew that those guys were leaving, you know, last season, you probably would have, right? So, again, I, I'm probably, as you've gathered over the 62 episodes, a, a little more into the, you know, culture and motives and sort of mood, mood of things. Um, so, yeah, I'm generally higher on the Heat this year for for a whole bunch of reasons. So, I, again, I'm kind of I'm hitting the over hard with Cleveland. And I, I'd be you know, people, smaller numbers, but I'd be kind of pushing the over on Miami this yeah, year as well. when I put it there, and I was actually surprised. I thought, oh, Miami, I'd, I'd actually forgotten them when I, when I did the rankings, and I had to sort of slide them in somewhere. And I was just <laughs> like, I'm so uninspired by this. You had them off the, I just, yeah, look, it's, it's hard to get excited about Olenek and, and I just you know, think Dion's how much can Spoke, can he bring the magic again, and, it's, and White Side's unhappy, and I don't know, I just... I, yeah, look, it wouldn't surprise me. I probably have made a mistake there, but um, I just I, I couldn't. I, I just didn't well, even want to think about them in the playoffs. I, I was more a hoping that just that they'll be relevant. Well, the the big question for me though, Daz, is what's the move for this team? I mean, because yeah, I think they're locked. Yeah. It was actually very um, fitting that they didn't make a move in the offseason because they're locked into this roster long term. And you want to talk about not having stars. Isn't I mean, Dwayne Wade's the fading star, but the, and, and and Dragic was an all star last year, so he's at least at a certain level. But there's there's not a real there's no one there that's going to have the upside to say, well, he's going to be all NBA in a couple of years or even an all star no. in a couple mm-hmm. of years. Mm-hmm. And as I say, they are locked into this roster for now at least another two years. What's what's the move move for them? Because Jimmy Butler wants to go there, but Tibbs and Minnesota. You know, understandably, not really interested in anything that they would have to give up for Jimmy Butler. So, where do you see any moves for this team to change this roster up and, and maybe uh, you know raise that ceiling a little bit more? Look, I, um, it is bizarre how they've locked in to these because it's such an attractive free agent destination. So, it is bizarre why Pat Riley has done that. But you know, look, I. Because I go, what's their alternative, right? They are now in the, they're almost, if they didn't have Spill and Pat Riley, you'd almost call them, you know, the, the Milwaukee Bucks, right? Or the longtime, you know, um, Indiana Pacers, these teams who finish 41 and 41 every year when they have locked in their salary cap, or sorry, locked in salaries with nowhere to go. But I just, I have, guess I have some faith in Pat Riley being able to, you know, find ways to do it. The question is for me is timing. So is, is it that you want to go get a Jimmy Butler and pair him with um, Hassan Whiteside and Goran Dragic and convince yourself that the rest of your roster that that can be a top four, top five team, right? Question mark. I go, is that really, is that worth it to go get a Butler to then pay him, I don't know, what, four years, 150 or whatever it would be, you know, f- following the season? And you're way into the luxury tax, right? And again, your only path will still be then trades with Jimmy Butler. So I go, I get the idea of trying to add a star, but number one, that even with Butler, this team is not going to compete with Boston or even optimize Toronto. Would you agree with that? Even with Jimmy Butler, or do you think this team would have a no. puncher's chance? And I, no. no, I didn't think right. They don't right. So I go, the timing, the timing doesn't seem right. And so this also isn't a team to do a teardown and start selling their players for, for future picks. And so I genuinely don't know, Daz. I genuinely don't know. Um, it seems like a better play would be to trade, you know, do the three-for-ones to try and get a player like a Butler or or dot, dot, dot. But 
just don't know well, where that's no, going to get them. The problem is there's no upside with the players on this no, roster. They've all isn't. they've all pretty much maxed there, except for probably out of bio. Um, yeah. So where are the where are the assets? And what's the ceiling, honestly, right? Is, and what's out of bio's asset? I mean, he's. I'd rather have Jared Allen than out of bio. Yeah. At this point. Yeah. It's a. It's he because he's more. He almost has more of a Yusuf Nurkic kind of game, right? He's a bit more bruising, a bit physical. You know, he's has no shot whatsoever. He's, he can't. You know, Nurkic has a bit of a touch from the mid range. So his he's a very kind of almost <laughs> Okafor. You know, just with mm. a chiseled body and some leaping, you know, type of game. So no, there's not a lot of upside there. Look, I, of all the if of all the possible roster building paths to you, right? Trade, draft, um, and internal development. I think this point is uh, try to get a Butler is probably the the best path to try and open up more options. Well, they're going to um, have to take on if they do a trade too. One of the points to remember is they're going to have to take on bad money. So this is why, why they're talking about Jimmy Butler and, and George Gorgie Ding might get a ding. going to yeah. uh, Miami. That's the cyber trade because the, the players they have are not necessarily assets. Then all of them are on decent contracts well, in a vacuum. But when you put all those contracts together and throw them on a team, it just doesn't work in terms of your competitive. True, but that's this is why the perhaps the one. Um, the one smart thing they might have done is that Sacramento can quickly insert themselves into the conversation. They're the only team in the league with cap safe. They got about 11, 11, between 11 and 12 million left. And so with the, like, say the inclusion of say a Costa Kufils for five, five and a half mil, they could ease, they could take a dang into cap space. So they take a dang and a first rounder, no doubt to do that and just ship back a, you know, an expiring like Kufos to make it work. So I think that's how you'd see a, a deal like this with Miami facilitated. I do not see Pat Riley under any circumstance taking back a bad money like like a ding. He's got enough money on the books, but at least his but eyes play. Right? You can't say he's got, you know, Miles Plumley, you know, oh, Luol yeah. Deng, Ashik, right? He's no, got players got, can play. Yeah. yeah. They, as I said, all the players are, are reasonable NBA players even, and then they're even all Luke Babbitt is, you know, he's yeah. ridiculously overplayed, but he still can shoot the ball, right? He's Thirty nine percent last year, you know. He's you know, okay. He's he's paid way too much, but yeah. But still, that's your, probably your closest thing to a, you know, to dead weight. But right, last, anyway, not- last point on Miami. Just something to keep an eye on. Philadelphia own their pick in twenty twenty one, and that's when a lot of these guys right. the books. And that's when I think this this roster is going to probably be ready to bottom out. Yeah. And guess what? They don't own their draft pick, so. The future not bright at this stage in Miami. I'll, I'll be interested to see what rabbits Pat Riley might be able to pull out of his hat to bring this team back to relevance uh, in the coming years. Now, the other team that we we had a major disagreement on was the Charlotte Hornets. I'm sure I'll probably look back and regret this one at the end of the season, but I've got them up in the. I think I had them as the number seven seed, Daz, and you had them as uh, the number eleven seed. So, and you said, name whatever price you want. This is not a playoff team uh, right now. So you're pretty confident. I'll give you my quick, I'll give you my I quick want, take Convince me. Convince me. Well, it's, it's the Spurs infrastructure coming in, Daz. It's the Borrego as coach, Tony Parker. I don't think Tony Parker's there for what he's going to yeah. do for them on the court. I think this is a culture reset. We t- we've talked about culture resets in different times. I think this team's now had a culture reset. And I think it's going to be for the better. I think Tony Parker's going to come in with that sort of winning attitude, him and Borrego together, and and 
and he, I think having Parker there is going to bring the best out of Batum as well. That's that's Batum's best friend. We talked about LeBron's stable goats and things like that last year. I think Tony Parker's Batum's stable goat. And Batum can play. Like we've seen him, but he's only really done it in contract years in the past. So can we see the best out of him? Hopefully, obviously, the health of, of Kemba Walker is going to be critical. Uh, and even with Tony Parker, that's a massive upgrade in their backup point guard last year, as it was Michael Carter-Williams. So... I, I just think in, in such a bad conference as the East is, I think this team's going to be good enough on most nights to beat the teams below them on the table. And that's the culture reset, I think, that, that Borrego and Parker are going to bring to the table. I don't think this team's going to be dropping games to the Orlandos and the Knicks. And that's what we've seen from the Hornets over the years, you know. We've seen them go out and beat the likes of Houston. And you think, oh, hang on, well, I might watch Charlotte for a second here. And the very next night, they'll go out and lose to the Nets. I just think that those days are over. I think they're going to beat, beat the teams they should beat. And I think that's got value in the, in the East with so many bad teams in the conference. Yeah, I guess I guess I'm sort of they're they're both the the Miami is so uninspiring kind of team concept for me, and I just just I'm probably colored by the recent history where you just expect, and we saw the the on off stats for Cody Zeller, just how awful they are, you know, without a big like that in the middle who could facilitate and play. Now, granted, Borrego's going to have a completely different system. Well, they've got Bismarck Biombo back, don't forget. Well, yeah, I'm saying that's right. It's, yeah, and Willie Hernan Gomez, right? So there's your three, there's your three bigs. Frank Kaminsky has been, you know, he's not he's a rotation player, but he's not anywhere near what they thought they were getting with Frank. You know, the kind of the modern, you know, your hope, the hope was that he could become a five, and he just, my God, he no. can't, he can't, def- there's no way he can play the five. So he just doesn't have a position, got, does he? But no, but again, that's that should be an advantage, right? So you, when you got to play him at the four, he just gets absolutely trucked by all the athletic well, fours, defense, right? When yeah, teams he doesn't go have small. On defense, that's right. And he's just, he's just way too weak and just, yeah, you, you saw a lot of positional, really strong, again, I would know it intimately from Wisconsin, right? Very strong IQ on defense, but obviously his lack of athleticism and, you know, not having uh, bloody Bo Ryan there in the same system for four years, you know, is obviously, it's just too much for him. So, again, my point was relying on Kaminsky, Hernan Gomez, Cody Zeller and Bismack Biyombo. I mean, that is that's as big as a gaping hole as Orlando's point guard play. And you're right; it's a culture reset. I, I that I buy. Um, I think the memory of of Nick Batum is far better than the player Nick Batum. So I think that's more. There's no data to sort of support the fact that he can, you know, still be a you know a player who's even remotely worth his contract. So I think it's nice that him and Tony are you know, sort of dual assistant coaches. I just go, you could probably play an assistant coach less than $24 million a year that they're playing Nick Batum. Uh, Jeremy Lamb, you know, has had, you know, tiny baby steps of development over the years, but he's now 26 and he'll never reach the potential he could have been. So so what? The upside is you're hoping Malik Monk has some freakish complete coming out of the woodwork development um, when Kemba is going to have the ball in his hands the whole time. And they got Michael Gilchrist, who, again, can't shoot from two feet out, let alone from 20 feet out. A rugged defender, so good guy, good good locker room guy. But he's, uh, you know, he's there, Andre Roberson. I just sort of I go, look, up and down this roster, I go, the pieces don't fit. They're overpaid, brand-new coaching staff, 
relying on centers and bigs who continuously underperform or get injured. And, you know, they're upside guys and MKG and youngish guys who used to be good and upside. They haven't, they haven't panned out in Lamb and MKG. So if you're looking at Miles Bridges and Malik Monk as your hope, and they're not going to probably get big minutes, I go, what the, what is this team? What is it? So I'm I just, say, I'm, I think I'm Miles out. Bridges will play. I think Miles I'm Bridges out. will play a bit. Yeah. Well, yeah. guys, look, you're discounting the Spurs again. That's disrespectful, in my opinion. Let's let's wait and see where that ends up. On 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 the Charlotte bandwagon, I think they'll make the playoffs in the East. The, the big question for them is Kemba Walker. Just on just on that point, um, Joe Prunty. <laughs> Joe was out of the the Spurs system for a long time, a long time, <laughs> too he? too long. Too oh, you long. got. He forgot. <laughs> he forgot what it, what it was like. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, now we got Bud. So you got Bud. You got Brett Brown. Pop as well. Yeah. No, yeah. look, it has been a bit hit and miss the, the Spurs because Jacques Vaughan was another one that came out of the, the Spurs system. So is Rob Hennigan in the front office. So it's, it's not all success stories. But quickly on Kemba Walker, um, should he uh, should he stay? Should he go? And, and this is a question for him and the franchise. I actually think he's going to be an all-star this year as well. Um, and, and I really hope that he, he can play sort of 70-plus games for this team. And that's what they're going to need, I think, to make the playoffs. But take it from their point of view first. Should they should they be looking to re-sign Kemba Walker um, at the end of this season? You're back into the, you know, the team philosophy and roster building questions, right? This this double-edged sword. But where do you Look, go if you don't sign him? This is the problem I have. I see. I thought they should have traded him last year when he had, you know, a year and a half on his deal oh, left. He's go. on such an unbelievably great contract. He's what, $12 million or $14 million. He's, I mean, he is criminally underpaid. I think him and Middleton are probably, you know, the people who are on the non-rookie contracts, he, this is almost, you know, Steph Curry, almost Steph Curry value, right? Steph Curry before his extension. So I thought they should have cashed in last year with desperation and, and got a whole bunch of assets for him, which I, they could have. Now, again, they still get something for him, right, because it's the team you're trading him to. I guess the thought process is if you're trading him to them, they're probably looking at resigning him. But I still think it's going to be a, a bit of a lost, you know, a bit of a lost value. Look, he, it goes to what kind of person is he, right? What, what does Kemba want and – and well, according um, to him, well, he wants to stay in Charlotte. Yeah, he's been pretty consistent about that. Look, this is a kid from, from I think he's a kid from the Bronx, right? He went to school in the in the East, so I think. Well, there was talk of the Knicks trying to trade for him for that reason uh, last yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, and uh, look, he's got he's got a he's got a like he's 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 only a half step. He's only a, a tiny half step, I think, below a Dame Lillard. You know, with that shooting off the bounce, um, and you know, pretty decent ability to get to the free throw line, and just right, just that you can you can shoot at three levels, right? Not the best around, not best finisher, you know, neither is Dane, but they you know can they can they're threats at three levels. So, such a, a such a coveted player. The question is, what should they do? I go, do they have any choice? I think I think you have to, I think you have to try and keep him. I think if you're Charlotte and you're trying to build the shelf something relevant, because I go, what's the alternative? Let him leave in free agency or well, the trade him at the deadline? Though, that is because the salary cap's about to bump up, so I don't think it's going to be as onerous a contract um, longer term, potentially. 
and, and you're still going to give yourself room I, to bring in other guys in free agency. Yeah, and I think this. I think he ages pretty well, right? And he's got he's got more of a shooter's game than say Lowry. You know, Lowry's hung on pretty well to age 32. You know, Chris Paul's aged pretty well. You know, age 33, isn't he? 33, 34. So I think yeah. Kemba's game is going to age pretty well. He'll still have that beautiful stroke from deep and so even if he loses a bit of the lift and burst he's still gonna he's still gonna be a pretty effective player and, and be quite coveted and and i just think the sad thing about kemba is i imagine him next to say you know i know this is next imagine him in the chris paul role next to a james harden right imagine him playing a lot more off ball and getting a lot more open looks ago that's where i think if i'm kemba um I, he's done all the right things and said all the right things that man wouldn't you want to go play with another with an awesome backcourt mate? You know, have CJ McCollum like lifestyle, and not have to carry the load. I'd still be so appealing. Well, to it me could if be I was, interesting um, in crunch time this year, and I'm not putting Tony Parker at that level now in his career. He's, he's washed up at this point. But at least if Parker might play some crunch time, we might see a little bit of um, of Kemba Walker off ball. Um, in those well, maybe, yeah. Just have maybe. him help him at the other end of the court. If, uh, yeah. if that's the team they're going with. So we'll, we'll see where, where Charlotte land. That's going to be the big question around Kemba Walker, though, I think, this year. Uh, quickly, we'll touch on this term. This is a term we spoke about on Monday, as the Chicago Bulls. Look, it's all, all offense, no defense. Uh, Fred Holberg's probably on the hot seat. I don't think he should be, but he is. I think there's some unrealistic expectations in that front office about where this team should be this year. We've both got them uh, around the sort of 9, 10 range. I had them 9, you had them 10. Um, what do you say? And you, your point was, is, is, is it possible to have a lower IQ, a lower effort term on defense than last year's Cavaliers? We're about to find out. Um, and my my point was similar. Can you win with no defensive players on the roster? This I mean, is honestly, a horrible just defensive team. Mark Marketin, Parker, and Levine, right? I mean, you you're talking these guys are. We're talking bottom ten percent. We're talking you know tenth percentile. Well, what's Wendell Carter Junior. too? Is he a defensive line player? No, he's pretty good. Yeah, he's he's very capable, right? But I go that that doesn't you know you'd need to be you know eight foot Rudy Gobert to make up for the the gaping holes at the point, the gaping holes on the wing, and the gaping holes inside, you know, with Jabari marketing, etc. Well, Chris Dunn didn't show much as a, as a defender. He's okay. He, I think he's a, and he gets a lot more props than I think he deserves, right? He's a, he's got the body for it, for sure, always has. But again, you know, he's, uh, I just got to call him average. He's, good. he's thought, not a liability. I thought Dunn yeah. was going to be a higher IQ player, too, from what I saw. He just... He looked like he's playing a fast forward to me. He, he needs to slow the, the game needs to slow down for him, or he needs to slow his game down. Um, yeah, and that's that's how, that's what I sort of saw from him last yeah. year. Um, this is like this is this is like if they were in the West, we're talk. I'd literally be talking about them down with with Phoenix and Sacramento. Oh, hundred percent. This team, hundred. Yeah, this their lack of anything on that defensive end is going to be shocking. That's not exactly Hoiberg's preference or strength anyway, so you're not going to see it augmented. This is a bizarre team we talked about last time. And uh, look, there'll be some nights when NBA League pass, and they're probably going to score 134 you know, points in regulation, and it'll feel fun. You know, when those nights that Jabari's hitting and Markkinen's hitting, and Zach's got his, you know, got his hops going. So you just were squinting, oh, shit, you know, that, that, as that ball can get, get shot from any direction, it's a shame it's Chris Dunn as your distributor, right? But, um, 
Well, the one thing, I think they're going to have fun. I think this is a team that's going to enjoy Hopefully. themselves on yeah. the court. And, uh, you know, if you get, you're going to have to be making sure you're making your shots down the other end. I know they're not going to be playing defense, but you still got to put the ball in the basket. So if you have an off-night off shooting the ball, I think the, the balls are going to be very, very difficult to beat. Yeah, it's going to be like Chicago NBA Jam, right? You pass that ball, it's going up, right? <laughs> And it'll get, you don't have to be on fire to chuck it. It's just a, it's team chucker. So it'll be very interesting. And I think we talked a lot about the, the Jabari variable last time. But look back to in terms of prog, you know prognosis for the season. This is not a playoff team. Um, there's a lot of tryouts going on here. Um, a lot of hype around Wendell Carter. Uh, a lot of prove it sort of uh, uh, aspects around Zach Levine in particular. Um, a lot of trying to, you know, take the next step in marketing. So there's a lot of interesting things actually happen in Chicago. So for as much shit as we have rightly given and they deserve gar packs, you know, you, you, you got to kind of tip your hat for, for drafting pretty well, certainly with marketing and here by the early signs with Carter. Mm. So, um, so kudos to them for at least getting some decent pieces and making, you know, making the United center someplace that will be a little bit interesting this year, but not a playoff, not a playoff team. Yeah, I, I think they could be. Look, Did if you they have them start in? well, I don't have them in. I got them in the nine spot. Nine. But if they start well, if they can hover around five hundred for heading into the All Star, I just think there's going to be a positive vibe around the team at that stage. I think, and if they can continue, if they can sort of keep having fun, keep the positive vibe going, I think they could be pushing into the playoffs because I think there's going to be some miserable teams in this Eastern Conference. Um, yeah. this year and I don't think they're going to be one of them so but we might move on Daz. we'll move on the, we'll, we'll look at another two terms now that we sort of have a little bit of a disagreement on although we've both got them in the playoffs oh so you have one team out of the playoffs and I have them in start with the Detroit Pistons so I've got we've both got them in I've got them in the eight slot you've got them in the six spot so not a great deal of difference there um, my big question on them is is there going to be an evolution of their game from what we saw of Blake and Andre Drummond under under Stan Van Gundy, do you think? Um, and if so, what what's that going to look like under the Dwayne Casey uh, regime? Yeah, look, so I'm actually going with um, gut here and not with data. Daz. So I'm kind of back into my soft skills, culture, human motivation, sort of mumbo-jumbo. I'll be honest, Daz. It was, look, Dwayne Casey, right? Start ahead of the snake, Dwayne Casey, who um, I it will be hard pressed for us to think of a coaching um, a coaching experience where the the tales of two extremes could have been more pronounced and more of a lived experience in public than what that guy lived in about a one month period right between a um, what he did to rightly deserve coach of the year and getting that team. Uh, getting a very, very deep team, getting them all prepared and developed, um, winning tons and tons of games, and and having his stars adapting and evolving, right? So the coaching job he did was deserving of Coach of the Year Award sort of status. And then to, at the very same time, to be so absolutely embarrassed and pantsed, um, stripped down, almost, um, just almost... Could I say humiliated? I think I'll say humiliated 
absolute professional embarrassment, right? What happened, the way he handled himself and the way they lost those games to Cleveland, right? So with that as context, he then got a lifeline, right, with a desperate franchise who went on from Stan and um, got himself a nice, big, fat, long-term contract. So part of me says this guy has probably so thankful he got a job so that he can erase those memories. Um, he's probably so motivated, right, to do the right thing. And he, he strikes me as the guy who um, who will have some humility about him. And so his posture in his locker room will be um, a lot of vets on that team, right? Um, so I think his posture in that locker room will be as a, you know, as a winner and as a leader and someone who rightfully has, you know, guided many 55-win teams the last few years. And, well, I'm just trusting him to reach Blake and to reach Drummond and to, if you know, if Reggie Jackson's healthy, to reach Reggie Jackson and, and find a way to make the pieces Make well, the how's that going to look, though? Is that going to be Blake bringing the ball up the court? Ball, Blake with the mm. ball in his hands? Ball. Are we going to see Drummond shooting? I, I wouldn't think of that right no. the three-point line, but outside the key even? Or, I mean, because what is Drummond? Is he going to be that sort of rim-running big? Um, he just, you know, he just doesn't fit in today's NBA, and we've talked about it a lot of times. What's Is there any difference you can see that Dwayne Casey might bring to this to, to Andre Drummond, or is he just is what he is, and he, he can get you twenty rebounds in a night, um, and, and you're hoping he sort of uh, gets a couple of dunks and, and put back offensive boards. Uh, yes, I mean he's. Uh, the question is how similar is he to Valanciunas, right? And um, so when I have my my lenses most acutely, you know, focused on Toronto, and they're doing weird lineups, is when. You know when they're they're crucifying and taking apart and dissecting the Bucks, and I remember just the times he was able to do the matchup with Valanciunas when you know um, just the right time and the right games and the right moments where he would you know he would torch the Bucks for a quarter or a half or a game and humiliate them. So I'm my my hypothesis is that um, this is not going to be an offensive system built around Andre Drummond full stop. It's going to be an offensive system built around, right, poor, poor, poor homeless man's Chris Paul and Reggie Jackson, right, who can theoretically, right, handle the ball, shoot off the bounce, and when healthy, right, he also can, again, when healthy, which is rare, he can kind of, he's, you know, multiple threat, run a pick and roll, shoot off the bounce, pull up in the mid-range, and do enough distribution, right, so that Blake can play off ball. But then likewise, if he got 1-4 PNR, that could be pretty interesting to get, you know, Blake running to the rim again. So I don't think this is an Andre Drummond offense full stop. I think though he will be um, surgical and, you know, and just do play the matchup. So then the, when the Knights, when they're playing against, I don't know, insert team here, you know, the New York Knicks when Cantor's not playing or yeah, I think that's against a good the, point. the, the feeble. That's a good point, isn't it? Because that was something that Casey was able to do. When they had that mismatch with Valanciunas against Boston and, and Milwaukee in particular, he was able to uh, take full advantage of that, and that's maybe something he can bring to the table for Detroit. That's my theory, right? So it's, you know, it's not the 82 games, you know, the way Stan was trying to have that team play, right, with, you know, very, very set minutes and rotations and roles. I think it's going to be more matchup-led. So when they go against the Cavs, 
Drummond's going to have a fucking field day against Kevin Love and Chetty Osman, right? When they play when they play against the Philadelphia 76ers, Drummond's playing. You know, he'll play some tough defense against Embiid in the first half, but he's probably going to have to sit because he's just not going to be able to keep up, right? So I just think it's going to be more matchup driven. So mm-hmm. again, I'm I'm going more on gut. I'm going more on maybe Blake has come back off the holy fuck. I live in Detroit. And, you know, I'm I'm banking on Blake having enough pride and enough, you know, sort of drive to, you know, still be relevant and be seen as a, a as a star to, you know, to, to bust his ass and play hard and not just sort of fade, fade away and, you know, let the, let the season manage him. And Reggie Jackson, you know, when he played, is a fiery competitor. And again, his on-off numbers are striking in Detroit as well. So this is this is gut, right? This is not a team with a lot of young depth, right? I think we've seen them strike out with their white guys, with Henry Ellenson. Maybe Kennard can, pardon me, can still be a rotation player. But again, this is not a team where we put in the in the category of having sort of sort of unseen or un, unrealized, you know, upside in in a bunch of young players. I think they are who they are. Stanley Johnson, I don't think has shown has shown much. Right, um, Ellison has shown almost nothing. He's he's probably in the risk of getting cut, right? And you know, I, I just like an irrational love for the Glenn Robinson, Glenn Robinson signing. I was so I don't know why I was so <laughs> so in on the guy who averaged five points a game for his career, but I just think he's got a chance there to kind of leapfrog some of the young guys. Anyway, yeah, well, I think unfortunately, Kennard's a decent player, but he'll always be known as the guy that went one pick before. Donovan Mitchell, uh, yeah. and that was probably yeah. the death knell for, for Stan Van Gundy, you would think. Let's let's move on. There's two questions we had about the Washington Wizards. So you've got Wizards just out, outside looking in the playoffs and nine. I've got them up at number number six. Now, one of their questions, I'll let their listeners guess who asked which question. Uh, I've, oh, sorry, we've put here, can Scotty Brooks keep this locker room from imploding? And basically the same question, but asked in a different way. Will it end in the train wreck? Mass suicide, firing squad, electric chair, or cannibalistic rampage. So, as <laughs> you cheeky bastard, yeah. So um, yeah, look, uh, this is going to so be my a counter, fascinating. It's my counterbalance, case. right? So I go, you know how I was, and I, I absolutely called right when I called um, LeBron in seven games. Like I just knew exactly how. That, that series for maximum dramatic effect was going to unfold last year. I have the same exact unquestioned, undeniable instinct this year is that the Lakers are going to get the eight seed. They're going to get the eight seed and wreak fucking havoc in round one. And I am certain that Washington is going to miss the playoffs by one game <laughs> for maximum, maximum, maximum implosion possibilities right so that's why there's no other place none i am so certain washington finishes in the ninth spot i just you know i i'm I'm taking that to the bank does so um that has to be where they finish right because they finish 10th or 11th you're not going to get a cannibalistic feast that you know that means it would have been a some meteoric collapse but that's why it has to be ninth It, it, it has to be it has to be uh, just off. Come down to the last off. game of the season. I haven't looked at their schedule. I wonder who they're playing last game. They'll get the t- get torched by Canard or by a Zeller. That's a yeah, great question. They'll play Orlando or something. Last game of the season, Orlando will put up one forty on them. <laughs> yeah, 
That's right. John Wall will rip his rip his jersey off and you know pistol whip Bradley Beal with it on, on the sidelines. So let shall we just recap for our eleven listeners what what Washington's offseason has been like? They've of course uh, uh, got themselves D. White Howard, and they didn't just get D. White Howard. They signed him for two years guaranteed. And as if this volatile locker room didn't have enough drama, they go and sign Jeff Effing Green, who's now on his 10th team in nine years, right? He the rock, you know, Jeff Green. If that wasn't bad enough, they tripled down and got Austin Rivers, who perhaps, if his name was Austin Jones, would be a fine NBA player. But this brat, this nepotistic punk, right, um, who perhaps was only developed because of his dad in the locker rooms. It's as if that wasn't enough, as if not removing Gortat would have been a, a nice move, just at least addition by subtraction. They go and put petrol all over this fire. So there, there is... But the talent's there. there. I mean, the one thing I'll say about this, though, there is talent on this squad. So... But it's just the employ. It's it's the personalities that don't match, isn't it? It's yes. Rather, like yeah. we've, we've talked about a lot of teams already. We and you said it with Charlotte. The roster doesn't make sense, etc. This is a team where the talent's there, and you can see how they even fit on the court. But it's just going to be what? How does this team go off the court? I mean, wouldn't you? What would you pay for a hard knock series following this team around all year? Infinite. It, I mean, there's going to be. I mean, they should just bring Gilbert Arenas back to be, you know, player development coach, you know, to arm these guys. I'm, you know, that's the only way this could get more volatile. It's just we have no idea what's going to unfold. We just we just don't know what shape of carnage, right? Is it a mass suicide where they all go down in flames and Scotty Brooks loses it and it's like, you know, they all they all. They all they all take a pill at the same time and collapse. Is it going to be John Wall eating the flesh of his teammates? Is it going to be you know Scotty Brooks takes the fall first and then you know it's a house of cards and it all falls down? It's just what shape, what shape of natural disaster is this going to take? And uh-huh. I I'm going to actually I'm going to engage in no basketball, none. There's no X's. There's no O's. It's Scotty Brooks, right? mulleted Scotty Brooks, honest to God, who was terrified of, of Russell Westbrook. Good luck. Could you think of a harder, is there a harder coach? This may be the segue. Is there a harder coaching job in the NBA this year than Scotty Brooks's job? Uh, maybe Luke Walton, maybe Luke Walton. Maybe. And that's a maybe because he won't do much coaching. He'll do right. He's, He's got the hardest ventriloquist act, you know, to play as as the puppet, right? Yeah. But um, but yeah. So that's my view on Washington. I do have them. I go. They can only finish in the ninth slot. That has to be the fatalistic space. There's no other option. I'm certain of it. Well, I've got them up as six. I, I think the talent will see them through ahead of um, a, 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 what's. But I think below them, the talent just fall, falls off so much. I mean, as I said, I had Charlotte mm-hmm. at seven. I could easily see Charlotte down as low as twelve, and I could see Miami up, you know, in that, in that sort of seven slot as well. So, I, but the, so do you the, have a? Do you have a then with that? You must have a. I guess you are buying John Wall stock, right? You're, are you buying? 
you know, kind well, of I think where if Wall's his ability. There, I mean, Bill Bill kept them afloat well enough last year um, when Wall wasn't there. So, and I think you know, Jeff Green, for all the criticism of Jeff Green, he was actually an important player for Cleveland last year. They would they don't they potentially don't get past Boston and get to the NBA Finals if it wasn't for Jeff Green. So, Jeff Green was a fine. He was fine. Jeff he Green contributed was fine, to fine he contributed to winning. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and Dwight Howard, look, for all the criticism, he still puts up numbers. So, but he's just, he's ruined the Hawks and he ruined the Hornets when he was there. So, as I said, it's all off court. So, and Otto Porter's still there. And the Rockets and the Lakers. And the Rockets and the Lakers, that's right. So, um, yeah, it's, look, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they finish ninth, but I just think on talent alone, even if you take Wall out of the equation, I still think on talent alone, they're probably the fifth best team in the conference, I think Indiana will finish above them, even though I think on, on talent alone, Washington are better. But just the combustible um, personalities in that locker room are going to drag them down. It's just how far are they going to be dragged down. Um, and it's going to be hard to be dragged down in the Eastern Conference this year, um, given, the, given the holes and given the problems, I think, with some of these other rosters. So... We might move on, though, as I'm sure we'll, we'll look back at, at Washington a number of times this year. When they, we've both got the same top five, uh, we've only got actually one difference in our top five. So we're going to start with the number five team. And you raise a really good point here, I think, on Indiana. The, the question on them being, they're not going to surprise anyone this year. So how do they go now that teams are, are scared, being able to scout them and sort of, I guess, see them coming and now they are a contender? Because they're not sneaking up on anyone this year, are they? Yeah, so I've had them taking a, a little minor step back this year, right? So just for that very reason. I think Vic is, Vic is spectacular and earned his third-team All-NBA um, with un, without a question. He got second team. No, he got third team, didn't he? So, yeah, all do. He deserves everything that he gets, right? Um, we saw a massive kind of plateau, almost Thon Makery plateau from Miles Turner, which was horribly disappointing. And I didn't love. I didn't love their off season. Right? I didn't. I don't love the Doug McDermott. Um, I didn't love drafting of Aaron Holiday. I didn't love the Tyreek sort of signing I kind of go bit just I didn't love their off season um, and uh, and I just sort of just what you pointed out was that this team's not going to sneak up and if teams can find a way to you know to pressure Vic and get the ball to his hands my big question for the year right is what are they who's going to step up and score when Vic doesn't you know it's kind of the, the well, Utah it'll be Tyreek Evans would be it'll be Tyreek he had so 17 can... points a game last year at, at, at Memphis so is he going to start? Is that the implication? I is think he'll come start? off the bench. I think he'll be the bench, the bench, the leader of the bench unit. Yeah, right, right. So, yeah, look, we're banking on so they're banking on on Tyreek Evans, where let's just say has had a, a mixed a mixed NBA history, had a fine season last year, and a, you know highly motivated you know to try and get himself a contract. It's still remarkable why Memphis didn't trade him. That is the most. Was there a more befuddling, bad non-decision? I just can't. I just can't believe they didn't trade him right last year. It's just remarkable. Well, I um, think they wanted the resale on him. Was the but Memphis Memphis front office have a different view of that? Than I think people yes. outside have. 
But he's remarkable. I mean, he had a remarkable, again, he only played 50 games, but so it's not exactly small sample, so it's not exactly a season, right? Um, but man, he I think it's remarkable... his best season since his rookie season. I think that's, that's oh, fair, easily, yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, and he shot he shot forty percent from deep. Daz, he's a career thirty one percent, a thirty percent shooter before this season last year. So just a complete. So we'll find out. Was it a fluke? He's a thirty percent career shooter from downtown over over seven seasons, um, or is he the forty percent shooter? At high volume, you know, five and a half attempts per game, and that'd be probably about seven per attempts per thirty-six minutes, right? That's that's a volume shooter. So, if that's now the player who he is, and I will be proven wrong about him being a not a great signing for Indiana, but no, I'm not as high on the Pacers. I've got them taking a bit of a step back. Um, I think Sabonis' ceiling is is a bit limited. I'm now a little bit worried about Miles Turner and what he can become. So I've got them though comfortably in the playoffs, right? Well, when you say step back, they did finish the five seed last year. So, but I think they surprised a few. But were they the four seed? Well, that last year, oh, no, they were the five pl- seed because they that lost playoffs, in game seven. This Cleveland in Cleveland. Yeah, that playoff series was you know that was you know I, I, that well, was they a step for them. Yeah, yeah, they pushed they Cleveland did. more than anyone else did, and that's they where sure I, I still think they're going to be a dangerous playoff team because of the Vic Oladipo factor. And if if they come up against Philly or or Milwaukee or Toronto in that first round. Vic's going to think he's the best player on the court, and he may very well be the best player on the court. Um, I, I doubt he would be with Milwaukee, with Giannis there, but I think with the other, some of the other teams, he could very well. Well, he's be. not afraid of anyone. That's that's the thing. That's why he's got he's got that nice. He's got a superstar swagger, right? Well, he's, that's it. No one else in the US has stood up to LeBron like that. In, really, since LeBron came back, um, or went to, even when he went back to the Miami, you're going back to the sort of Boston day. Yeah, when you had Paul Pierce. That's what's that a, there. Those of us in Milwaukee were were dying for a Bucks Cavaliers. We really, really wanted to see Giannis, you know, measuring stick against against LeBron. So you're right. I sort of go, damn, because they've had some epic battles in the regular season where you've seen Giannis get under LeBron's skin. You've seen Giannis absolute dominate. Even this is you know before Cleveland stopped playing defense to you know to relegate LeBron to spectator in the fourth quarter because the Bucks blew him out. So. But I digress. Don't make this about well, the Bronx. With but. Vic, I mean, is there any more improvement in his game, do you think? I, I actually think there is. I don't think there's a massive amount of improvement. I still think there's there's some room for improvement in Vic Oladipo's game as well. Yeah, look, I suppose it's like, like any player who's reached this level. It's now about how do you, I guess, how do you repeat it? Because he's only had one season like this, you know, in his career. He has a career, you know, 17-point-a-game score who averaged you know, what, 23, 24 points a game last year. So can you just repeat it, do the same, right? So I go, that's that's now his benchmark, or so that's now his baseline. That's the mark of, a, you know, of your of your perennial all-star, borderline, you know, all-NBA players. Just just do it again, and then do it again, then do it again, right? So, um, and then with that will come all the leadership responsibilities and, you know, to what extent can he make players around him better and help unlock Miles Turner and keep putting Sabonis in positions to succeed and 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 that sort of thing? So you know, playmaker, facilitator, creator sort of stuff at that next level. But I think I think everyone in Indiana land should be thrilled if he just cut and paste Control C, Control V, mm. the exact same stat line from Vic last year. You'd have to be thrilled because then you're saying a guy who's 
you know, this age 26 season, now you're feeling very, very good about, you know, sort of your next five, six years with him. So, so the, the um, final two points I'll make on Indiana is, one, I think, if, if Oladipo goes down injured, they're done. They're, I don't think any team, maybe Charlotte, lean on Kemba a bit more, but I, I, I think even Indiana lean on Vic even more than that. They did not win a game that he missed last year. He missed six games. They were 0-6 in the games that he yeah. missed last season. And there will be some regression to the moon for them. They were not a... The, they were not an analytics darling last year, to say the least. They outperformed their expectations, and there's generally a reversion back to the mean for that. But I'm, I'm a bit opposite to you. I like the, the Evan signing, and I actually think Doug McDermott's going to be okay for this team because I think they did need some extra shooting um, that they didn't have last year. And okay. Bogdanovich had a good year last year as well, um, which we were a bit sort of head-scratching about that signing at the start of the season. But he was a nice player for them and actually played some good defense um, for them, particularly in the first-round series where he marked LeBron a lot of the time. Now, LeBron still got his, but at least he made LeBron work for it. Um, which sort of which did help them uh, in different games of that series. So we might he had a good year. Yeah, yeah. He had a good year. So we'll, we'll see. But we both got them in in the five seed. So we're we're um, disagreeing slightly on the three four seed. I was very tempted to put Milwaukee in the three seed, but I just I want to see it. I suppose from Milwaukee. And I, so I'll put Philly in there, but I certainly wouldn't be surprised if that if that finish flipped around and you had them flipped around between Milwaukee and Philly. We spoke a little little bit about Philly, so we probably won't speak as much about Philly because we did speak about them on Monday night. You know, I, I think people are, are putting him in that Toronto Boston range. I'd be I'd be more willing in terms of contenders for the East to say Milwaukee's more in that conversation um, than what Philly are at the moment. Um, so I, but I think it all does come down to what are we going to see from Markel Fultz? There's talk that he's... I'm hearing sort of mixed reports, to be honest, reading between the lines out of three at the moment about how good they feel about his shot. So I'll be very interested to see what how he looks um, come game one of the season. Yeah. I mean, that, that sort of, I guess, controls their ceiling in many ways, doesn't it, Daz? What do we see from Marco Fultz um, when that first well, ball That's interesting. So I, I literally hit all your columns when I did my when I did my sheets. I, I only just noticed now that of all the things going on in Philadelphia with Elton Brand as GM and what's his new relationship with Brett Brown, with you know losing the veterans, with you know bringing JJ back, with you know what's the changing nature of of Joel's game in the off season, how Simmons taking the next leap, you know, will we get more sorry of all the variables and questions going on? We both had the same question where this season feels this all about faults, isn't it? So it's, I just read that now that was our, our number one question for them. Mm. And, and for sure, it absolutely unequivocally is, um, it, it was too easy to forget how almost universal he was as a number one pick. Right, again, Danny Ainge perhaps aside, but the Fultz uh, optimized Markel Fultz was something to behold. It was you know, like it was like Dwayne Wade at point guard, basically a little bit shorter Dwayne Wade, smart, athletic, all those sorts of things. So I don't care about the press. I don't care about what his trainer says. I don't care what the team says. I don't care. I care. Literally, I don't care at all. Nothing. I care. As, as little about what Markel Fultz's activities are. I care about as much as I cared about, you know, um, 
fucking Gordon Hayward showing, you know, <laughs> you know, calf raises in fucking February last year. I just, I doesn't matter. Give me the game film. Let's see how he plays. Yep. And that's a, that's for two two massive factors. What obviously what he brings, what he contributes, can score. How many minutes does he does he play? Blah blah blah. But number two, then that is a radical. That is a radical change the way Ben Simmons is utilized. And I've already been on record a million times going. Just I just wish this was Ben's team and not not Joel's team. Now imagine it's Joel's team emotionally. It's Joel's team spiritually. He is the loudest, most vibrant, and most vocal communicator, both on the court, especially from the defensive end, and on the bench, and in the press. And now give the ball to Markel Fultz, right? Say say the ball's out of, of, out of Ben Simmons' hands a little bit more, right? I think Ben's still probably going to be the primary initiator, but he's now sharing it more. And Ben, you know, Ben can't shoot at all. So I go, what impact does it have on Simmons? And therefore then the offensive continuity and his confidence and, and his role. So that's the, that's going to be the coaching, um, the coaching challenge of the year is if we see faults develop into something and it's going to be, how does that, that symbiosis and how does that counterbalance with, you know, with Ben Simmons? Because is there a risk? that he has a Andrew Wiggins like, you know, sort of regression to the background where he is the grab and go uh, maestro in transition. And he's still the um, elite, elite, elite passer when he has it, but he's just perhaps his usage takes a hit and his offensive game doesn't develop as much. That for me is the, the big dynamic is if Fultz starts to, show what he's capable of and plays 20, 30 minutes a game. Wow. What's that mean yeah. for Simmons? Well, the theory Do you have a view fit. on... Well, the yeah, theoretical the fit of Fultz with Simmons and Embiid is perfect. Like, that's basketball um, symbiosis, you know? Yeah, like, I totally disagree. I just, I just don't in agree. In terms of what Fultz can can bring to the court, because they want someone Fultz can... On, Fultz on ball. That's where I go. I think Fultz with the ball as the James Harden Again, the Fultz I saw in college is that he's that literally Donovan Mitchell, James Harden, triple, even more than a triple threat with the ball in his hand where the defense has to prepare for pick and roll, for the drive and dish, and for the pull-up. Right? Is it that's Fultz optimized. So if the ball's out of his hands, no way. Give me J.J. Redick and Clay Thompson. Ben Simmons can pass like nobody's. Been. Yeah, but I think that the thinking is Fultz can shoot off the jump, or he can put it on the floor and and take it in. The that's just not the best. That's well. what I'm saying. That's not the best. Markel Fultz is a guy off ball, you know, playing a, a sort of traditional two. He has to be playing combo guard. He has to right. That's why he's so. That's why he. But was I think the we're seeing in today's NBA, you can have two guys that can play. Like Kevin Durant needs the ball, Steph Curry needs the ball, James Harden needs the ball, Chris Paul needs the ball. We're yeah, they all shoot forty percent from three. They all shoot forty percent from three down. Well, so did Marco so, Fultz in, in college. Now I understand that Ben Simmons hasn't, but uh, you know Ben Simmons has got brings other things to the to the table that uh, those guys may shoot, not. He'd be happy to shoot fourteen percent. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, and he doesn't. But he doesn't but, even take the three shot three point shots. Yeah, yeah. So look, so back, sort of zoom back out, right? Which is where 
I, I should have kept it. But so we both are on board that that Fultz is the big variable. Well, the last thing I'll say quickly on Fultz, Fultz showed enough. Fultz showed some good signs last year with everything except for the shot. So we just we never saw the shot. I, I can't even remember him taking too many outside shots when he finally came in and played a few games at the end of the season. So I think there was enough there to be confident on for Philly that he's going to be a, a competent player. And another guy I liked that they signed in the off-season was Wilson Chandler. I think Wilson Chandler's going to play for this team. He's another guy that's had problems staying on the court. But if I they, think he will. If they can say, look, they're not going to be asking him to play 30 minutes a night, but they, they can get 15 to 20 minutes a night out of him, that sort of makes up for the loss of Ilyasova and, and Bellinelli, who I think they will miss more than people people understand. But that's that's not a bad. That was a sneaky sort of under the radar signing. I think people haven't probably paid enough attention to um, this season. And look, if Fultz is out there and playing more minutes, that's less minutes for TJ McConnell, which is probably not going to be a bad thing um, for this team. All said and done, although TJ McConnell did have some nice moments in the playoffs, but um, I'm not, uh, I don't think it's necessarily sustainable. If you, you want him as your number three. Yeah, yeah if you're looking at the top yeah. end of the Houston yeah. covers. Let's move on to the, the Milwaukee Bucks, as I know you don't you normally like talking about this team that much. Where do you think, the? And, and I've sort of put this about, you know, obviously the big question is around Buds, how much is he going to improve, but where's the most room for improvement for this team? Is it on the offensive end or on the defensive end? I actually think it's on the offensive end, but I'm interested in your take. Yeah, I think it's on the defensive end, right? So they finished, believe it or not, they were top 10 offensive efficiency. Yeah, I know they were, but geez, they used to get stuck in the mud. The the periods of time when they would just not score for, you know, possession after possession after possession, it was just such a slog for them to get the ball in the basket. And I understand where they finished there on... um, on the offensive rating. So the, the analytics probably didn't match up with the eye test, but for me watching this team, it was just a slog too many nights for me watching this team play offense. Uh, yeah, maybe maybe that's the recollection of the of what happens in playoff basketball. But again, that they didn't struggle to score. It wasn't to struggle. Possessions, yes, and I, but I think possessions, I remember a lot of ugly possessions because they had so much um, you know, drive and dish, you know, iso ball, it's, you know, let Giannis try to create something. Um, when he couldn't, then it's like, oh God, now where do I go with it, right? And this is that's why I'm saying it's the that was not about Giannis or you know Eric Bledsoe, right? And he trying to get to the baseline and he get trapped and okay, now what to do? That is not about Eric Bledsoe. That is about the system which they were put. And if we've ever seen a clearer team who's so suboptimized of their talent with a you know a lack of a lack of a system. It's it was the Bucks of 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 twenty seven seventeen eighteen. So, um, I, I, the, their individual talent alone, right? The, with mids, Giannis, Bloodsoe, and dare I say, Brook Lopez, I think is going to have a really big impact. It's hard to understate how inco- not incompetent, but just just ineffective stroke, invisible stroke, irrelevant stroke. You don't need to defend their center position was last year. Mm. Like their best. Like their best lineups were when John Henson was kind of playing good, and when that's your best lineup, you're you're fucked, right? Oh, Thon, it's a massive upgrade, a massive upgrade. It's a massive upgrade. So I go. I think the Bucks will still be a they'll be a comfortable top ten offense, um, and and so I think they probably might even be top five. I think five. that's the point I'd make too. I, I, obviously, yeah. there's not that much room for improvement analytically in the, the stats, but I think to the eye test, 
this team's going to look a lot more confident, a lot more fluid well, on offense. I'll give you one data point, right, which is um, try and guess how many Atlanta Hawks players from last season averaged more three-point shot attempts per 36 than Chris Middleton. I'm not going to put you through it. The number is 10. <laughs> 10 Atlanta Hawks players had more – sorry, nine, I lie. Nine Atlanta Hawks had more three-point attempts per 36 minutes than Chris Middleton, right, who has had seasons where he shot 40% from three. We've been screaming. We, the Bucks nerds, have been screaming forever for Chris Middleton to get more attempts, right? So I go – I think he could right? double his attempts, and that's why we talked about all it, NBA. It literally on might double. It literally might double. That's that's exactly right. So he has a shocking five-point – And they're going to be better eight. shots. How many did he chuck up at the end of the shot clock last year? Yeah, that's exactly right. So your question is a fair one. That's why when I stop to try and – I try to take the emotion out of a team where I go, it's it's – it's hard not to get optimistic about just Bud's system and what that can do for players, in particular Chris Middleton. So just give him bloody Kent Bazemore level attempts, right? Three more attempts per game at 40%. Change nothing. Number of minutes exactly the same. Just give me three more attempts per game, and there's your extra, you know, 1.2 points per game, and there's your bump up in offensive rating just for one player, well, and look at Tony Snell's going to put up a lot more of those sort of attempts. And Tony yeah. Snell's a nice... I've always thought Tony Snell's a nice three-point shooter. just doesn't get up enough attempts. He's invisible on the offensive end for a lot of those games for the Bucks. I think he's going to be more of an integral part of this offense. And Brooke, and, and he had Dwayne Dedman shooting threes in Atlanta. Well, Brooke Lopez is a nicer three-point shooter, I think, than Dwayne Dedman as well. For sure. Looks like, I mean, between Brogdon, Sterling Brown... Tony Snell, we don't know what we'll have in Dante. Um, Eric Bloods had a decent year. You know, he's still, uh, you have to defend Eric Bloods. He's not going to scare anyone, but you have to defend him. And of course, Middleton and Brooke Lopez. And I go, and Bloods with his history is, right, he's going to shoot the ball and and, and he's going to shoot the three from everywhere, from every position. He's turned Dwayne Dedman, right, into 140 attempts last year. So, um, so there'll be, it, it's going to be a whole new world on offense, but the upside. I think this team goes from a 44-win team to a 50-win team by playing uh, competent defense, by playing more high IQ defense, by uh, not fouling as much, by having an NBA center like Brook Lopez who can, you know, um, just uh, um, IPA kicking in Daz. Comp- <laughs> Competent center defense. Well, I think it's a nice. It's actually nice for Thon Maker too because denying denying the basketballs are what I think. Brook Lopez is is maybe more of a comp for for Thon, so they're they're going to be playing the same system when Thon comes out there. Whereas it it never felt like there was any continuity between what was expected of Thon Maker and and how how the Bucks were playing, um, depending on who was on the court. If that makes sense, yeah. So that's where I think there's going to be. I think play. Players are going to understand their roles. There's going to be continuity about what's going on. It's going to be a system on both ends of the court. Um, and I think you're going to see a massive... I think this team could be mid-50 wins, Daz. I just think yeah. the top four in the West, in the East are going to separate themselves just because of the amount of easy wins you're going to have in this conference. 
so that's where I've kind of gone. I should have just summarized it, right? Sorry for the rabbit holes, but I go. I think you've got a you got you got one win share for Eric Bledsoe. You've got two win shares trapped in Chris Middleton. You probably get another win share trapped in Brogdon Sterling Brown. You get a win share trapped in Tony Snell. You probably got one in the combination of Uriah Silva, uh, Brook Lopez. Um, and that sort of group, and then Giannis, who knows, maybe he's exactly the same ago. You've got eight win shares, I think, trapped with just a modicum of a system and good coaching, and I go, it, it really, genuinely, I truly believe that, no, this team does not have another star in Sterling Brown or Brogdon or Dante, no, but it's going to be, the whole's going to be so much better than some of the parts, and um, I think it's a 52-win team, and that's why I had them as a number three seed, but no mistake about it, once we talk about they'll be eight games behind, right? So I think there's a tier. I think yeah, Toronto and Boston are off in the stratosphere. And then so that's why I think I've put them as number three. They've got a lot of questions. It's going to take time, right? This this defense isn't going to turn around in November and December. So yeah, but they come could the very playoffs, well. I mean, Giannis is not just a star. Giannis is a superstar. And that, that, that raises the overall team ceiling, particularly when you come to the playoffs, yeah. when players yeah. at that level matter more. Um, I think, and I've, I've mentioned his name already, but I think the guy that watches out for is Tony Snell. I think he's going to have a massive year under Buds. And I think Ilias Over, as much as we sort of shook our heads at the signing and the money and things like that, he's going to be a nice addition to this team. There's no question about that. He's going to play minutes. Buds knows him from his time in Atlanta as well, so um, he's going to be a, a nice player to, to be able to slot in there at the four, um, and even maybe even play some five in some small ball lineups for the Bucks um, at different times during the season. So I think he's going to be a nice addition um, to this squad. So I like the way they're building, Daz. I think I think you're going to be you're going to have a smile on your face more nights than you won't uh, than than otherwise uh, heading into this this season uh, with the Bucks. If if they have a season where we can just get all of the, the we need the Bucks land needs something to to rinse the gigantic stink of regret in the Grievous Vasquez trade the blah 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 you pick it Rashad Vaughn over uh, over Bobby Portis of DJ Wilson over fill in the blank you know Kyle Kuzma OG yeah, Ananobi Josh, yeah. Josh Hart uh, giving away you know he's he's kind of fell off a bit but giving away Norman Paul giving away you know Pat McCaw I mean the the asset destruction this team went on for 3 years and so the 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 the, the, the horrible what ifs like the feeling that man the team could have chance last year to get to the finals had they done a few things smarter in the years prior so there's a lot of this bittersweet lament you know why Bucks Twitter is so angry? As I fuck, we've they had this window the last couple of years that like, you could have we could have snuck in and been ECF. You know the almost finals that you had a couple of picks hit and been a little bit smarter. So well, when um, you got a superstar level player in in Giannis in in a pretty poor conference, um, it's inexcusable to be finishing in the eight seed and then heading into oh, the first round. Yeah, of the plus grinding out the, yeah against the grinding out forty four wins. I mean it's. So that's the theory. It, the theory is we're going to just see the world will get to see just how unbelievably incompetent um, Jason Kidd uh, was as an NBA head coach with no system, mm. no structure, no process, no discipline, all about individuals, all about ego, all about, you know, drive and dish, right? All about just matchups. And you know, he, he basically coached the way he was a point guard. He thought he was the smartest kid in school. 
and he'll just we'll just outsmart everyone on the game day. No system, no discipline, no repeatable habits, and uh, that just it's not a, that's not a formula. So massive, massive bump. I th- I'm pretty comfortable with them in three. And again, part of that was also I just perhaps the way you think about the injuries coming to Kevin Love, and I it, it pains me to say it, but you just it just you pray it doesn't happen. But I just Joel Embiid terrifies me with the way you know his history and where he's at. So I just sort of feel like I've I've kind of priced in some some extra games being missed in Philadelphia, where I've kind of I've got them at the four seed, and um, I think it's not it's actually quite a big deal. I think that's going to be a pretty important battle. Because I think you've got yourself five clear teams in the East, and then there's a big, big gap. Yep. And so I think finishing number three this year actually is going to be a bit of a big deal. So I think you'll see Philly, Milwaukee, Indiana really fighting for that three seed. Um, so, again, you're going to have the has and have nots. I think we're going to be pretty pretty impressed, stroke, uh, you, you know, not proud is not the right word, but I think we might have an NBA Finals that has, a, has some meaning this year too. And I think Boston and Toronto, if they get through – you're going to see them chiseled with some really good playoff victories against Philly, Indiana, and Milwaukee. So the top of the East I still, is actually quite strong. Right? Yeah, you, I you think it's, about, it's, it's, it's comparable to – I still think – It's comparable know, Houston now, right? Houston and Golden yeah. State are, are better for sure. at the top two. For sure. But I think if you, if you went top five versus top five yeah. and you had the top ten teams in the NBA, you might have the first two would be the West. Maybe the next four would be out of the East. Quite frankly, um, maybe how things shake out. Yeah, you know, Utah, OKC, San Antonio are those seven game series that much harder than Philadelphia and Milwaukee? You'd no, still probably right. say, yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, so yeah, I think the top's getting stronger. I think that three, four, the battle for the three seeds going to be actually pretty important this year. And I think there's also a bit of a again, just on the last point on the Bucks is a bit of that the emotional rush with the. Um, you know, the new Pfizer forum opening and just the, you know, a bit of buzz around that and a bit of fun for the players and it's energizing and it's fun for the fans. And so there's a little bit of, I don't know, there's a maybe a half a game or a one game bump at home from the, mm. you know, a bit of extra, extra mojo from having the new, new fancy toys to play with. So I'm pretty comfortable with them there in the three, four slot. Yeah. Well, we've both got the same one too. So we've got Boston and, and Toronto in the one and the two slot. So we'll talk about Toronto first. We've both got in the number two seed. I wouldn't be surprised to see them push up into number one either, uh, depending on how injuries shake out, etc. in Boston. Um, what did you make of Fun Guy Kawhi and, and uh, meeting, the, meeting the media in his first day? That's honestly, Daz, huh? I've followed the guy. <laughs> I've followed the guy for six years. And I've never... <laughs> I've I mean, never heard him laugh, and I've never heard him speak that much. That's the most he's ever spoken in his entire Jesus, NBA career. He was like a fucking orca with a hairball, or like you know, if an alien came down and tried to pretend to be human. Ha 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 ha! That is a laugh, you know. It was, uh, it was so awkward, Daz. Oh man, <laughs> it made me it made me uncomfortable. I I had to push pause. I really did. I'm like, what? Is, I actually had to turn away. I'm like, oh man, you know. Did you watch the whole you, interview? That did you I watch did. the whole? Yeah, I did. Was, I'm uh, like, what? It was painful. It's so weird. Oh my god, he's so weird. 
Talk about well, this is a guy things. that just doesn't want to talk to the media. Like the media would ask him, "Oh, what did you do?" Yeah, like they but... were in Philly. Did you get some cheese steaks? Some of you I don't want to talk basketball. Like that was it. That that was how the way he was, and they just accepted that in San Antonio. And there they're trying to sort of spin this narrative. I oh, know San Antonio wanted him to be that way, and he's a oh, fun guy, oh, and he wants to oh, talk to the media. I am a fun guy. <laughs> It was so awkward, Daz. Oh my God, you must be so happy, right? To go from the to go from the tragedy of him throwing his entire team under the bus to oh 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 oh, oh the orca, you know, it's, it's reminded me of like you know the the sad dolphin who's out of water for too long, <laughs> oh, oh, trying to grasp for air. Was, <laughs> oh. It's so awkward, Daz. Well, as a Toronto was, fan, though, you would feel good, I guess, that he's at least, he looks like he's making an effort there. You know, hey, he's okay. not surly. Right. He didn't turn up to the first it thing, surly, so I don't want to be here, etc. awkward. Hey, he, he smiled. He showed up, right? A, he showed up, didn't do that last year. Mm. So he showed up. So that's the other, so just taking a step back, he showed up, he smiled. He did the laughy laugh thing, the, you know, the, the, the dolphin struggling for air. Uh, say what you will, but that doesn't that for you, that for me underscored how much absolute vitriol and hatred he had and, and complete disrespect. So this part of me also actually felt a little bit worse about it from a San Antonio Spurs fan um, and team perspective is that now you're showing him, he's showing up and giggling and giving it a go. And I go, I don't know, you tell me, Des, but that would make me um, sort of, now reduce my probability of him showing up in San Antonio. <laughs> Just the, oh, you mother, you fucking, we know you fucking quit. I know you know that you quit. I know that you know that your injury is an absolute fake. Like, that's how I would be feeling on a bad moment. Yeah, as but a I'm not, look, fan. I, yeah. I think there's two sides to every story, Daz, and I'm not naive enough to think that everything San Antonio does is above board and, and, and 100% right. I'm sure... I just get the feeling something's happened that we're not aware of there in San Antonio that's sent it sour. And whether it's a, it's a mountain out of a molehill or whatever it is, it's obviously upset him to the point where he's not he didn't want to come back. So, look, at the end of the day, it, it is what it is. I'm pretty happy yeah. with the team San Antonio put together. I like Demar DeRozan. Yeah. I've talked myself into the yeah. DeRozan era. And, um, look, we'll see how, how Kawhi goes um, in Toronto. But um, I'm not looking back. So, From a sanitary point of view, I, I'm not looking back anymore and, and worrying about what's happened. It's, it, it is what it is now. So I, I dragged it there, and that's fair enough. And I'll, he'll be our, obviously, our, our um, barometer for for that. And we'll talk more about, I'll the Spurs upside, you know, on our, you know, the second half of the pod. But, um, look, in terms of the, in terms of Toronto, right, the team who won 59 games last year and then upgraded significantly from DeMar to Kawhi. And then, oh, by the way, adds Danny Green, who if he's got anything left in the tank, right, even give them, you know, 45 regular season games and, you know, save it for the playoffs. I think that's a net, that's an absolute net asset for that team. I mean, it's it's hard not to look at this team as a, you know, if Nick Nurse just, you know, just again, sort of, just rolls out the same philosophies. This is a, this is a, this just feels like a 60 win team. Doesn't it does, especially in this. Well, we're, assuming we're assuming health for Kawhi. We're assuming health for Kawhi. I'm assuming health. I know. I think he's we can safely healthy. assume health yeah. for Kawhi. But yeah. Um, so yeah, I agree. I think in ter- what were they? A 59 win team last year. 
Um, defensively, they are going to be just an absolute boost of a team. Like, you know, when you consider some of the lineouts that they can throw. Yeah. Van Vliet's a really nice defender. I know he hasn't got bad. the size and he hasn't got the physical tools that you'd expect. But I, I remember when they played Houston and beat them in Toronto and he just hounded Chris Paul all night. He is a he's a nice defender against some of the teams you're going to need that type of a defender against, and I could see him chasing Steph Curry around in the Golden State series as well. And you add to that Danny Green, who's still, he, Danny Green was still a very good defender last year. He didn't shoot the ball as well. His offense sort of wasn't wasn't all that great, but really elite defender. Uh, Kawhi, we know what he can do on the defensive end, same as Ananobi. Uh, and then you've sort of gotten the likes of, you know, Valentunas, Ibaka, Siakam, etc. off the bench. Really, really nice looking term in terms of the defence. And the, what, when we talk about a lot of these defensive lines across the league, we, we don't have the, the, the matching offensive upside. This team does. They've got Kawhi that can give his own bucket. Um, Ananobi showed some nice signs there last year from an offensive point of view. Van Vliet can play on it good on offense. Kyle Lowry's still there. Like CJ Miles, we haven't even mentioned. Like there's so many different players they can throw out there. So many different lineups that they can throw out there at any team. And I think that's one of the keys if you really want to be at the upper upper end of the NBA in today's NBA. You need to be able to diversify and go, you're going to go small, we're going to go small. You want to go big, we can go big. And just be able to mirror what the other team's doing and do it better. And I think Toronto are well set up to do that. Um, and I think, look, if they get a fully optimised Kawhi, I, I sort of rate them just a touch ahead of Boston at the moment in terms of what, what may happen in the playoffs. But I think in terms of the regular season, I think it is going to take a little bit of time for uh, Kawhi to sort of find his feet in the regular season, given what transpired last year, um, it may take a sort of 10, 15 games before we see the fully optimised Kawhi Leonard that we saw, you know, two seasons ago in San Antonio. Look, there's, there are, it's actually probably, they might be, I have to think about, you think about the profiles of the, let's just say for argument's sake that Toronto, Boston, Houston and Golden State are the four best teams in the league. Is that pretty? Would you be okay great. with yep. that statement? Yeah, just as a statement. So I go, Toronto's unique profile, right, is they've got the unique combination of um, first-team All-NBA potential, like with Kawhi, and on a great year, right, a good year, Lowry could still be an All-Star, um, right, the first-team All-NBA potential and a dominant singular player like Kawhi who can play at top-five MVP or borderline MVP level and a 10-11 man bench who can you have versatility you have different options just as you were you were rattling off the names right from DeLon Wright and Fred Van Leet and Philon Tunis can play matchups Pascal Siakam I think he's got a bunch of on tap upside um and so on and so forth right Greg Monroe you know can is an NBA player CJ blah 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 like they've got all NBA count and go really really deep right it's probably what Boston doesn't have. Does Boston have anyone as good as Kawhi? No. Ka- Kyrie, you could say. I think Kyrie's more of a second-team All-NBA player, right? He's not. He'll never be an NBA, you know, MVP sort of caliber, but he's a, a proven winner. But they're and they're very, very, very deep. Obviously, Golden State has the freakish. You know, half their team is All-NBA talent, but their depth is is not there. So the, the, I guess the theory is the way you'd have to beat 
a Golden State team is by, again, man five through man ten right on your roster. And I go, that's where if you're a Toronto fan, I can talk myself into being really, really optimistic about this season that, you know, you've got enough weapons to um, to, to, to hang with the, you know, with a Houston and a, and a um, Golden State offense, and you hope, right? An off-night shooting, rolled ankle, and the bench units having to play um, that that's where you're 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 probably earning well, your money. Well, we've seen so we, the blueprint to beat Golden State, and Houston had it last year. You've got to throw a a five man unit out there that is going to make them really work offensively, and really get them stuck in the mud offensively, slow the game down a bit. And I think Boston and Toronto can both do that. Boston's more of a team defensive scheme where they'll do it, um, but they defend at a very very high level. Whereas I think Toronto, it's probably more the individual defenders, which is which is probably more what uh, Houston brought to the table against them, where they can just go match up for match up, we're just go and we can switch everything, and we and we're going to make you work for every single bucket, um, and and if we have to slow the game down, so I think both teams defensively are actually set up pretty well to go up against uh, Golden State, but I think the upside is more. With Toronto, I think Toronto's ceiling's a bit higher, whereas I think Boston's floor's a bit higher. If that makes sense, in terms of what you know, the the, the worst game of Boston's not going to be as bad as the worst game of Toronto, but the, Toronto's best game is probably better than what Boston's going to be able to produce as well. So that's going to make it fascinating. I think in terms of the Eastern Conference, when it comes to playoff time, who gets on top of who, um, and obviously it gives them both I, a puncher's chance. I, I think against Golden State. I think maybe we're saying the same thing as I like Boston's five against Golden State's five better. I like Toronto's 10 against Golden State's 10 better, right? So, or, or Toronto's eight versus Golden oh, State's eight. I think you're selling think, Boston a little bit short, too. I think Boston's well, still, I just love their starting yeah, five, deep. right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I just think you think, <laughs> you think Kyrie Hayward, um, Brown, Tatum, and uh, and, and Horford, I go start, fuck. It will be yeah, it'll be Horford. Sorry, well, Horford, right? But I think right, Baines so I will that. start still because I don't think they want to start Horford at the five. So then Baines, Horford, at four, well, Jalen Brown probably comes off yeah. the bench then, right? He's he'd have probably no problem with that. But I guess I'm saying if you're playing yeah, five, if man. you're playing Golden State, you're going Horford, Tatum at the or Tatum or, or Brown at the four, or whatever. So one of them chasing Draymond, one of them chasing KD, same same. Again, that's the that's the beauty of how they play. So I think I think that matches up more neatly than say, you know, picking between, you know, Siakam and Valanciunas as your starter in Toronto. See what I'm see what I'm saying? Yeah. Or Ibaka, and Ibaka's kind of lost a step or two. So 25 year old Ibaka, yeah, give me him. But he's I don't know. He, he just he don't want he he can't chase KD anymore. Ibaka's one of them guys that probably was 35 when he was 25. So. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's right. So bit of what, whatever he is now, Surge four years ago could still chase KD, but Surge against the Golden State can only really play the five for long stretches, right? Unless they've got a, you know, who's who's Golden State center? Well, they're going to have Boogie by then would be their plan. So Boogie and then, yeah. yeah. Then, but the, see, this is the thing for, I think for Golden State, we don't want to get too far into their preview. 
but sometimes having Boogie on there might be an advantage for some of these teams because then Toronto's always light up and say, well, we can play Valentinus tonight because Boogie's out there. Um, yeah, we can and, play a slow turd, that's exactly, right. Exactly. Yeah. So, but maybe if Boogie comes back to his best, obviously he's a better player than Valentinus, but there is a chance, I guess, he's out there and, and not, as, not as good as Valentinus yeah. at this point. So yeah. um, it does so give think, them a bit, of a, a bit of an advantage potentially. So just to wrap up the East, um, which is, I go, I still got Boston probably by a hair. Like you could probably maybe argue that they might, you know, they might not care about the one seed this year, but I think you're going to see Toronto and Boston both comfortably as a member of that. But it's hard not to have them winning 60, each oh, one winning exactly 60 or even 60. Barring injury. Yeah. Barring, yeah. yeah, barring injury. All injuries the same. I think it's, that's... Yeah, they're so good in but I mean, Gordon Haywood, how much a difference is he going to make to this team? Um, particularly on the offensive end, like that's going to raise their ceiling on what they're able to do offensively. Um, you know, he's, he'd be taking you know, Marcus Morris and Terry Rozier minutes, right? So both those guys played pretty well last season. But yeah, it's it's a clear upgrade. So you got a couple of couple of win shares from Gordon Hayward and their win or two from Kyrie, you know, versus their backcourt. And so you kind of go that that team's. I mean, if you do the same things, they're going to win sixty three, sixty four games. It's you know. So if I can tune out the national um, media and tune out the the fans, um, that that freaking Boston team just they just play they they play fucking great basketball, especially when Kyrie is healthy and, and his freaking handle. So um, it's it's hard not to tip your hat to that fucking team. But I do sort of like though what's just taking a, a sort of a macro view is that you know, we we do have the continued homogenization of the NBA, you know, everyone's kind of moving towards the, you know, just more and more three point shooting. So my bucks have kind of with the, the moving on of Jason Kidd, you know, they're going to, you know, you know, rinse and repeat the same philosophy. We'll talk a little bit about it in the next, in our next one, we talk about the West, you know, maybe we've got a couple of teams emerging in the place sort of counter terrorism basketball, you know, like with the Memphis Greens are probably going to trot out this year. And dare I say the Spurs will continue to be countercultural, but so I see some homogenization of the style of plays, but it's not, so it's nice to see at the top of the East, you know, in particular Boston has its more egalitarian system and, you know, the, the five-man, five-headed Hydra, where Toronto clearly has, right, there's, there's, um, there's Kawhi, then there's a giant chasm between Kawhi and the next best player in, in Kyle Lowry. And similarly with the Bucks, kind of got a very, very different styled leader, you know, with Giannis, and a whole bunch of, you know, great role players around him who can, you know, play some three and D versus in the Philly who has like the three spectacular players who don't fit awesome together. The point I'm trying to make is I think the East is turning out to be um, as homogenized as the NBA is getting. You've got very different styles of basketball mm. in the East, right? Um, with just the, with the top four teams alone again, Vic, oh, Vic probably is a, Indiana's probably like baby Toronto. Right, they got one scintillating player, then a giant chasm between him and their second best player. Indiana just doesn't have the depth of Toronto, so maybe they're kind of they're kind of a replica of that style of play. So I just sort of like the, the again variety and variability and, and some some contrasting styles is hopefully what we we see through the through the East this year. I think that's you're right, my that's my reflection. That's good, mate. So we'll yeah. wrap it up there for the Eastern Conference. We'll uh, we'll do the Western Conference for our next pod. Um, that was a good two-hour pod there, Des. So we've we've covered oh off every single uh, every single team 
in the Eastern Conference. But look, we, we've been dying to do this, so um, but we might leave it there for tonight. We'll um, we'll try and catch up again in say a week's time and um, and do the Western Conference. Uh, but uh, look, enjoy your weekend, mate. And we're going to have a few NBA games to sort of chew over as well because the preseason starts in earnest in the next few days. So you've all um, all things being equal, who who you got coming out of the East? Who's your who's your playoff champion? I'm, I'm leaning Toronto at the moment, believe it or not. I just I think if we get the fully fully um, idealized Kawhi Leonard, I think Toronto. I just can't talk myself into Boston. I just think they just. They're a great team, but I just I want to see someone rise up as that absolute star player, and I think eventually it's going to be Tatum, but he's not quite there yet. Let's see, maybe it's going to be Haywood, but I just think best player on the court is going to either be Giannis or or Kawhi, um, and I think I, I agree with you on Milwaukee. I don't think they're quite there yet. I think this could be the year um, for the Toronto Raptors. I'm um, I'm saying the same thing. I think what I saw with the the giggling orca. Uh, he confirmed that he's. It was I a good sign, and as much as we laugh, it's actually a good sign for Toronto. He's Probably fine. A good sign for him. He's fine, which we all knew since January. He's perfectly fine. Yep. And that it was about it was about something else, and it was the relationship and things, as you hinted. We probably don't know, but I'm with you. I, I for rinse and repeat. Um, I'll pick the star um, over the uh, over the ensemble in the playoffs. Um, I leave the variable open that, you know, is there a coaching gap perhaps between Nick Nurse and Brad Stevens? But um, if I put money on it, which I'm not, I'd, I'd, it would be, uh, it'd also be on Toronto to come out. Well, if I put money point. on it, Daz, I'd put money on the Lakers because I always just back LeBron to win the East. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> He'll probably Isn't find he? a way. That, hey. that before the play start, they'll say, oh, and, and the commissioner has put the Lakers in the East. <laughs> He doesn't have a no trade clause, Daz. That's <laughs> true. He could end up in Philly. That's true. You know, who knows? So, all right, we're just two two votes for Toronto. Good stuff, mate. Yep. All right, that was fun. That was a that was a comprehensive look at the East. So, in summation, I like Cleveland and Detroit and Miami. You like Charlotte. That's what I. That's my. That's my takeaway. That's my takeaway. Well, I think that. Yeah, I was certainly higher on Charlotte. Was the main. The main difference in terms of who. Who was higher on who, wasn't it? Um, and I was. Oh, I guess a Detroit. little bit higher had, on Detroit. You're higher. You're way higher on Washington. You got Washington in the playoffs. Yeah, I guess that was the other big difference. You got them six. I've got them again. Number nine. It the biggest difference was Cleveland. Nine. You had Cleveland at eight, I had yeah. Cleveland at fourteen, yeah. and you had uh, yeah. Charlotte at eleven, item at seven. So um, yeah. we'll see. We'll see where that ends up at the end of the season. I'm pretty confident on my Cavs one. Not quite as confident on on the Hornets um, side of things. <laughs> All right. All right. Bye. All right, that mate. was fun. Good to talk to you. We'll talk again soon. Thank Have you. a good sleep. Bye. Bye.